0: On. And goal of the season,
1: of I'm sure most people would say I was mad.
2: Hello,
3: thank you for joining us again on the Downhill Second Half Podcast. Joining me, Ian DL, is a man whose IT skills are more outrageous than the choice of 70s glam rock tune that was used for Ishmael Yacobu's Terrace Chant. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Thank you very much, hello. And alongside him, a man who's more nonchalant than Wayne Purse's Penenka penalty at Woking Away in 2002, is Mr Craig Clayton.
2: (laughs) Good afternoon.
3: (laughs) And I'm delighted to say we've got another great guest for today's show. Um, he's from Edgware, but he played in Barnet, not the other way around. Uh, and he played for the Bees on over 200 occasions. During his time at Underhill, he featured in the Division 3 playoffs, suffered relegations to the conference, battled a serious illness, featured in the conference playoffs and scored in them, and was a key member in the title when inside of 2005.
0: It's Super Benny Strivens. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Good stuff. I think Ian listed out... Um quite a lot of uh, sort of a bit of a roller coaster there in terms of the seasons you're at the club from 1999 to 2006 and we'll go into them in a little bit more detail in a minute but there was a lot of ups and downs there was the playoffs there was the relegation there was the conference dip there was then the conference playoffs and of course the title winning season and then the football league was there any point that you just sort of looked at it and went can I just have a normal season can it just quieten down a little bit please
1: yeah, like you said there, until you actually read it out, I forget about some of the stuff that did happen during my time there. Um, I think my first full season, um, we was in the playoffs and I thought that would be the norm, obviously. I'd come from non-league football and you know we was up in the playoffs. We was top for ages that season as well. I remember us getting off to a great start that season and then, then end up losing against Peterborough. And then even the following season, we got off to an OK start. I think we was in and around the playoff places. But um, I think we was fully aware of players that the fans weren't the biggest fans of the way John still liked to play football, should we say. So we knew he was always under a little bit of pressure, always seemed to be a bit of disgruntled if we didn't play quite the best at home. And um, he chose to move upstairs and obviously Tony Cotty coming. in. And um, yeah, before I knew it, we was in the playoffs and then oh. spiralling down the table, ended up being, you know, out of the blue, being relegated back into the conference. So um, yeah, certainly uh, certainly was a roller coaster as a player and obviously for you guys as fans as well.
2: One of the things I wanted to ask you, Ben, you're North London-based, certainly, uh, originally, uh, similar to, I think, pretty much all of us, actually. I, I went to Mill Hill County High School. Um, I was told that you went there by the PE teachers, so that's either true or they were talk, telling you... Yeah, true. Um, nice trip. You played at Wingate, um, so it's up the road, from certainly from, from, from me, I'm, I'm sort of Finchley-based, and then you came to Barnet. But before you actually joined the club, did, were you aware of it? What, what did you know about it?
1: I'd only ever... My, dad, um, so my dad's side of the family are from Archway and obviously my mum and um, all her side of the family are from Barnet. Um, so I'm um, being honest, I, I went to majority of Arsenal games when I was young. My dad was a massive Arsenal fan. I sort of grew up as an Arsenal fan as well. But on a couple of occasions, I went and watched Barnet as well. Um, I don't know, it's not being thing, but I, at a young age, watching Barnet compared to watching Arsenal, I probably wasn't <laughs> as interested in it, probably, should I say, Um but then, obviously, living in and around the area, um, like you said, I was born in, you know, Barney Hospital, um, End up moving from Hendon to Edgeware, So I was always around it, always the local people, always, always the stories on the back about Barney and stuff like that. So always looked out for the results and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, in you know, i got an opportunity to go and play there and to become a f- professional footballer for pretty much your local team was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a dream at the time.
3: Because obviously it was a big, big step up from the Ryman Division 3 as it was then. Um, and you were kind of, in, I know you didn't start a lot of games, but you were involved in that first season straight away. The um, first proper game I saw under was the Bournemouth Cup game. I think that was your first match under, you came off the bench. Yeah. Um, so, Were you surprised to be like in and around the team so quickly there?
1: I think so. It was just... Um... It was all a bit of a whirlwind. I was obviously playing, I was at Watford from like a really young age and I left them when I was about 14, 15, believe it or not for not being big enough. Were, I was quite small and then all of a sudden at 16 I had a bit of a growth spurt become tall and I was just playing for Wingate and Finchley. and I did, if I'm being honest I, I never thought I was going to make it as a professional popular at that point. Um thought i had well and truly gone. So um, I was just playing for Wingate and Finchley, enjoying it, playing with my mates and I ended up having a mad season where I scored a lot of goals and um I was on trial here, there and everywhere. Honestly, I went to so many different places and um, got offered academy forms by a few different teams this that and the other. But um, John Steele was the first person offered me a professional contract. Um, so it was just, yeah, local club, getting a chance to sign a deal. I remember him sitting me in the office and I worked with my uncle at the time who, who lived in Barnet as well and said, like, how much are you earning from being a gardener I was at the time? I told him I was only on like 150 quid. It was the biggest mistake because he said, how was you like to earn 950 quid to be a footballer? So that was my first. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd added a, a little bit more money onto it now. Um, but yeah, going from being Wingate and Finchley, like playing in Ryman Division 3, to then um, being in in and around the first team with them boys. And, you know, still the one good thing about it, giving non-league boys a chance, give young boys a chance. And um, there was Ken Charlery, Scott McGleish, Marlon King and myself. And, being completely honest I was always involved in that first season when either Marlon had done something stupid in and around the training ground that week which <laughs> happened quite a few times um, and when and when Scott McGleesh used to get left out and um Marlon used to start Scott and I love Scott to bits he was great for me you know a pro and all that but I don't feel I've seen anyone lose their head as much as him if he got left out of the team and um if he got left out on a Friday, that normally meant I'd be involved in a Saturday because he'd have an argument with Stilly and I'd be involved. So um, I was full fifth choice. But yeah, amazing that I got to play any minutes during that season. I didn't really expect it so quick that first season. So as I say, it's
2: a funny one about Scott McLeish because I don't think he changed in his career. Right right at the back end of his career, he um, came back to Barnet on loan. I don't, you may or may not be aware, but um, I do remember a, a, it was a, a game where certainly he felt he should have been included and he wasn't. And uh, he, he, left the, he left the ground at the point where he realised he, he wasn't included, but then came back to the Durham week yeah. to explain to the fans exactly why he should have been included uh, <laughs> over in or two, which was uh, <laughs> great
1: sounds, for us. But. It sounds like Scott. It was, um, at that time, we used to, if we had our away journeys, we um, we all had, All we used to get was jacket potatoes, if we stayed over, like if we went over on a pre-match and things like that. And you'd have a choice of only about three or four toppings. But... Um, the amount of times that obviously Stilly would do the squad on a Friday, they would book it and then we'd be travelling up or whatever. And then um, Scott would lose his head, have an argument with Stilly and then I'd get added into the squad. The amount of times on away trips and <laughs> they used to go, Scott McLeish and I used to be like, yeah, that's mine. That- <laughs> I, think <laughs> was- I think he was beans and cheese, I think he was. He used to have on his jacket potatoes. So I think I got pretty much learnt how to like that, really. Um, but he was... <laughs> He, like you said, though, I remember playing against him right at the back end of his career and he was still then, and he still I think he still plays now. I think he just loves playing football and um, from that age, he wanted to play every minute right up until probably he's into his 40s now, but he's still the same now. So, um, But he looked after me as well, to be fair. Him, Darren Curry, Sam Stockley, some of them senior boys um, were on good Island. They probably looked after me when I first got there you know, and I'll always be grateful for that. I still speak to Scott now.
3: It was a proper team and we had Darren Curry on last week and we were saying to him about you know, they were a very likeable set of players. They were good to watch, regardless of the brand of football. There was a lot of very good games in that season. And, you know, you say you were involved in a few, you even played in the playoffs. Um, something we were talking to Darren Curry about was that era for Barnett was relatively quite cool. Like we had the loaded sponsorship and all that. Um, yeah. It made us a bit more high profile for Division Three, certainly. Did you, was that kind of, was it almost that kind of step up to a bit of, in inverted commas, like stardom? Uh, from Wingate to Barnet at that time with all that going on? Or did you not? were you not really aware of it?
1: I think, yeah, probably Probably it was um, playing for Wingate, apart from people in, obviously, Finchley and um, maybe a little bit of coverage I was getting in the local press. I don't think anyone really knew me because I was quite a local lad and probably, I can't blame Darren fully for it, but I probably started going out a bit too much in Watford in, in the early ages of my career. Um, she used to see a few Barnet fans out and about and all of a sudden start, people start recognising you and stuff like that. But it was, um, yeah, it was just, just the whole thing of it really, you know, going from, like I said, I think I went from, you know, a lot of people come through the traditional route of going through youth teams and then breaking into first teams and stuff like that. I um, I went a completely different route, you know, like getting, leaving Watford when I was like 15, pretty much giving up on being a professional footballer. It's all of a sudden, by the age of 18, being in and around the first team squad and then, um, yeah, a League Two team. That's why it was such a devastation for me the following year when we went down because I wasn't sure that I was ever going to get to play League Football again, you know, and I still remember scoring my first Football League goal and things like that. It was a massive thing for me and my family as well. So, um, yeah, I, look, it was it was brilliant at the time and probably got a little bit carried away with it at a young age, you know, and some regrets I had probably getting out a bit too much, but um, it's part of growing up, I suppose.
0: I don't think any of us have got a leg to stand on there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Although we didn't have a professional football career behind us. Oh, no, uh, Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, um, that following season, obviously, you mentioned Marlon King, Ken Charlery, Scott McLeish. Over the course of time, uh, over the course of that sort of nine to 12 months, those players all left the club. And suddenly there's a, you're in a position where, you know, you're one of the leading strikers. Did you sort of see, see that as a, an opportunity or was that a bit of pressure that you're under? obviously with the with the way that the squad was, uh, the, the way that things were going at the time, did you feel like there was a bit of pressure there? It, it was just, it was, um,
1: like you said, in a short period of time, things changed really quickly in the attacking um, department. We, um, Marlon left, because look, Marlon was a quality player, you know? He, um, you know, you could tell from, I was the same age as him, but he was, he had something special about him at that time. I think all the Barnet fans knew that as well, but it's been well documented. He was, I, I honestly had a great relationship with him because I was a young lad and stuff, but, He weren't the easiest to get on with at times with some of the older boys, and we went on a bit of a end of season do that year when we just lost in the playoffs over to Dublin, and um, let's just say he didn't get on well with everyone there. And uh, before we knew it, (laughs) before we knew it, we come back. He had left the club, and then at the start of that year, I was still probably fourth, fifth choice, probably in and around the group. Um, But obviously, when Steely went upstairs and Tony Cotty come in. I, f- I think Tony Cotty wanted well, some younger legs in and around him running around doing all his work and pretty quickly Ken Chiodo left the football club Scott McLeish left the football club and it was left to I think it was me Wayne Purser, um, Tony Richards probably I think it was around yeah, that time yeah. as well um, so I'd gone from being out on loan at St Albans um, wondering whether I was going to even get a chance in the first team to doing really well on loan at St Albans and still he started speaking to me offering me a new contract whilst I was still out on loan and before I knew it Right at the start, of the second month of my loan at St Albans, Tony Cotty pulled me back, and said, "Listen, you're going straight into the first team. You're not coming back to be involved. You're going to start the next game." And I was just like, "Couldn't believe it, to be honest." In in hindsight, for me, it was good. But if I want, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think that was good for the football club at the time. I think going from Ken Charlie and Scott McLeish to Ben Strevens and Wayne Persil, both at a young age, becoming two of the leading forwards in the team, probably was ultimately one of the reasons why we, we slipped down the table, you know, having them younger lads in the team rather than experienced boys that knew the league. I think that's, that's a bit
2: harsh on yourself there maybe, but um
1: but certainly I we, we certainly there's there's no doubt we lost
2: a lot of experience up front in, in Scott McGleech, Ken Charlery. Um, and then obviously as you, you already talked about Marlon's uh, talent as well. Um one of the things with, with Lee Harrison, we spoke to Lee Harrison the other day and one of the things he talked about was how uh, regimented John still was. And if I get it right, he sort of gave you a break and then towards the latter end of your career, you, you, you linked up with him again at, um, at Dagenham. Um, yeah. From the sidelines, he seemed, um, albeit very organised, like quite a passive manager. But from the, the stories we were hearing about quite how regimented he was, quite how sort of iron fist it was, it was a bit different. Did you find him, was it difficult or was it, was he, was it great playing, playing for
1: him? Now I could look back on it and say it was great, but um, Lee Harrison was completely right. You know, When I went into Barnet as a young lad, honestly, I was so scared of him. He, um, the yeah. way he was with especially younger boys, he was he was ruthless with us. But look, for our own good, you know, and you look at how many boys he's brought out of non-league or younger players that have now gone on to do really well, you know, that's because of the way he was with us. Um, but yeah, probably, probably a big part of why it didn't work with um, Tony Cotty was the fact of, John Steele was so regimented, we were so organised, it might not have been pretty on the eye at times, but we we all knew our jobs, there was no doubt about it. If you didn't do your job, you got told about it. And Tony Cotty come in with, you know, a young manager, probably just finding his way and wanted to play a little bit more football, probably let some people get away with a few more um, things. But the one good thing about Steele was his man management, you know, them senior boys in the group, you know, people like Greg Hildes and Lee Harrisons and all them sort of characters, Darren Curries and all that. He used to know how to get them and get them right on his side, whereas um, I didn't really know it at the time, but I think a big, you know, big part of the reason Tony Cotty probably didn't do too, too successful with Barnett was because I'm not sure the older boys really respected him that much as a manager. Um, I don't think it helped with Stilly being probably in the background, you know, still being director of football for Tony Cotty, but um, plus he was still trying to play and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, w- whatever Lee Harrison said, honestly, I can echo it. And he mellowed out a lot through the latter part of his career being his manager um, and I've got the utmost respect for John Steele you know, I love him for giving me my chance but um, yeah I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm shit scared of him <laughs> <I'm> scared. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if he calls me now I still I never call him John now I still call him gaffer because I remember calling him John once and he absolutely went mad at me so even when he I've spoken to him a couple of times now that I've become a manager and obviously he was manager of Mainstone and stuff the last couple of years if it rings and it comes through and it's him, he's still Gaffer to me. I'll never ever call him John. So um, yeah, he, he was he was our taskmaster, but a good guy as well. Not being funny, I think we're all terrified of him now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, of him, yeah, it's
2: yeah. All of our minds, that's for sure.
0: Clearly, he he um he came back in to to manage the team at the back end of that season, and uh, obviously you played. Um, towards the back end of that scene, he scored a couple of goals. Um, he actually scored in the first game I ever went to, which was the Cheltenham game. Yeah. Um, and I, you celebrated in front of me. I like to think it was specifically in front of me, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In my little tracksuit bottoms and my little safe chip banner. Do you remember that for Soccer AM? <laughs> yeah, stupid. I remember the safe chip banner. <laughs> stupid, stupid thing. Funny <laughs> thing you do as a teenager. Anyway, um, it sort of felt like. You know, we weren't actually in the relegation zone until very close to the end of that season. Um, did it ever feel like to you that, you know, we're in trouble here or or did, this sort of, did it sort of catch you unawares or, or was it something that you sort of you knew was coming? I, f- I think,
1: you know what, I think is that that like you said. I think it caught us all a little bit unawares. I don't think until that, probably the last week of the season, I think we had started drifting down the table and then before we knew it, it was in a bit of a free fall. And um, not being arrogant or thinking oh you're going to get out of it but you was always we was always probably in a position where we just needed to kick, pick up a couple of wins and we'd have been okay and uh, even going into that last day of the season you know, but still if we won the game we stayed up um but it was it was just it was a hard time because obviously still he come back in tried going back into trying to do the things that he obviously did and trying to you know get us back playing that sort of way but we had lost quite a lot of experienced boys from the group and um i found it now as manager, but it's definitely throughout the whole of my career. I know it as well. Confidence plays a massive part and um, the confidence of the group. And obviously when you start losing games, it becomes tough. And I, I just think it just become too much, you know. And ultimately on that last day of the season, the pressure around that game and going down was, um, it was horrible and obviously still remember it really well to this day.
3: I was going to say, Lee Harrison was saying the other day that... Um... In the week leading up to the Torquay game, he talked about that season where, like you say, you know you've lost that sort of figurehead of John Steele who is keeping you all in order. He talked about a bit of a kind of us against him almost mentality in a positive way Mm. uh, within the the room, and then it it kind of shifted with Cotty, and that you had these kind of factions within the dressing room and and players who were, you know, you had groups rather than one big group. And and he said the build-up to the Torquay game wasn't the best that you had players who. Maybe went out, you say you talk about the PFA awards, a few players went out and yeah. we're nowhere to them yeah. on the Monday. We're not gonna ask you to do names I mean, by all means if you want to be good podcast stuff, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. but um no, like but was there the sense of uh, I suppose as a player in the group and as a young lad who was local and making his way in the game and probably quite in it, that feeling of do the others around me care as much as I do about it? I think, no, there was there was always a obviously you could tell all the boys cared. That
1: that didn't help, you know, what Lee's talked talk about then the PFA awards being a week before it and um yeah, a few of the boys going out and drinking and then, and then like you said on the Monday, some of them didn't turn up and some like that stuff like that. But it was um you could tell everyone cared, you know. I remember Greg Hill was our captain at the time and I remember I've got to be honest, I probably looked at him and I was only a young lad, not that I didn't care, but I didn't really I was quite, when you're young, you're just getting on with things, you're playing. You don't, I I didn't have to worry about my family. I didn't have to worry about mortgages, things like that. But I remember Greg Kield had pictures up of his family and he before every game, he'd have them there and he'd be kissing them and stuff. And I remember thinking, God, this is actually like really serious, the situation we're in now. We're in a position where this is going to affect people's jobs and leaving and stuff like that. And ultimately, it proved to be exactly that, you know, when, when you talk about the team that went down and then obviously, us getting promoted was it three four years later however long it was i was the only person left and it happened pretty quickly as well that summer after us getting relegated so many of them boys that i looked up to and the senior boys in the group were just all gone um so i didn't really re- i didn't honestly naively at the time i didn't really understand how, how massive it was going to be obviously i didn't want to get relegated no one does this and i'm sure the fans was the same but um yeah, the build up to it a week before it it wasn't good. It wasn't a good training session. I, mem- I remember the training being, you know, there had been the the incident earlier in the week, and there was boys arguing with each other a little bit just because of the situation we was in and the pressure we was all under, and um, led into that crazy final game as well, which um, was a mad game to watch. As you guys, I was sitting on the bench, obviously watching that game was just mad. Us going three nil down and stuff like that I didn't really ever expect that to happen. Uh,
0: so then, obviously, that the, that day. Ended as it did, um, clearly a massive occasion in the history of the club. Um, like you said, a few of the sort of uh, top end players like Curry and Stockley moved on in that summer, uh, but we actually managed to retain a half decent squad. We, we 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 kept Greg Hill, we kept Mark Arbour, kept yourself, and we kept like Mark Gower and people like that. Lee Harris. There so was there was there um, a sense that you know we could we could bounce back straight away here, or was there a little bit of a wake-up call to say, you know, this is actually going to be a little bit harder than we thought it was going to be, or anything like that. I
1: think going, I think going down into the conference, like you said, I think we um, we felt like we had a, a strong squad um, to go into it, but without being going into it too much, it w- it was clear that obviously with Darren leaving and Sam leaving, people like that. But I, I think it was pretty. I think we all sort of knew that the likes of. You know, whether it be Arbs when he was going to go, when Gow was going to go, when Greg Hill was going to go. There was always that sense that it weren't going to be the group for the long haul. It was just um, felt like the club was obviously trying to stabilise itself in the National League. And we probably, a few more of us younger boys were getting opportunities sort of, all we were grateful for. But it always seemed the sense of, that the wage bill was going to get cut throughout the
3: season. Well, um, I wanted to add on to that, Ben, just that obviously it yeah, gone down. On. It's terrible. For everyone, as for supporters, as you as a player, you know you've made it into the league from non-league, and you've gone back to non-league with the club. Was there a sense, though, on a personal level, that well, maybe I'll get the opportunity, and, and you, you proved you went on to be the main man, if you like, up front. Was there a little bit of that in your mind that well, you know, I, I could lead the line next season in the. It's not idea; it's the conference, but it was an opportunity for you. So there was a positive to that situation.
1: Yeah, I I didn't I I looked after myself through the summer. Thought I'd come back and try and give myself the best possible chance of being in the the team for the second for that start of that next season. But i never really them first two years of the club. I never looked at myself as a, a first team regular. I always looked at myself as a sort of a the younger one, like getting my chance, becoming a sub. I never expected to play. I would never have knocked on Stilly's door and go, "Well, I should be starting anything like that." Never felt that way. Um, and I even going into that pre season, I remember. Doing like training games, this that, and the other, and I was training, doing pretty well and stuff. But I still probably looked at myself as just being one of the young lads trying to get into the team. And um, a few of the older senior boys sort of said to me that summer, "Listen, you're going to be playing this year. You got like it's going to be a big season for you and us. Like you're going to be one of our regular starters now." And that was probably my first real thing of thinking, "Wow, I'm going to be like the starting forward." And um, yeah. Probably a nice. Day. I was naively didn't really look it on that way. I was still looking at myself as a young lad getting a chance, but really I didn't probably understand the pressure. Really, being one of the main forwards, it's your, it's your job that year to hopefully score the goals to get the team back into a promotion position to try and get back into the football league. But I probably didn't realise it at the time.
3: Yeah, but I mean, you know, you hit the ground running. one one two. You had a good first half of the season. You scored. I think. I think that was the season. I could be getting the seasons mixed up. None eaten away. The hat trick. Um, and so you know, and you and Wayne Persa, when you're both it seemed that, like, yeah, there wasn't a lot of times where you were both fit and available. So it'd be, it'd be Neil Mitchell maybe playing up front with you or, um, yeah. you know, you, you'd done all right. It seemed that the, maybe being the main man or in and around that maybe gave you that confidence, you know, that you, that you needed to, to kick on. Um, obviously, the second half of that season, you had injuries. I know you scored two against Reading in the LW Vans when we smashed them 4-1, which was like a bit of a result. Yeah. Out of nowhere, well, I say out of nowhere. We, were, we were doing all right in the league at that point. We were about third or fourth. and. Ticking along nicely. And then after Christmas is that year when it, it fell apart, really. Um, we had the LDV vans against Cambridge, which I think we all got really hyped up for. And that went a bit flat. And then we had a terrible run of results, which obviously led to the John Steele, the end of that era happening. Um, and I know you had a few injuries and you were in and out around that time. Obviously, we asked about John Steele earlier about the kind of manager he was. Was there, I feel like in the ground at the time, there was a feeling of like resignation that, this is all going wrong, you know, the crowds are really down. This last game was Farnborough at home, there was about 700 there. It was, it, it was a real, like, sort of, uh, shock to the system that we, we're here, having been, you know, so high up in Division 3 two years earlier. Did did you feel, was there a feeling amongst the players that, you know, that this was, the John Salira was coming to an end? Or was it a surprise when he handed in his resignation? No,
1: I think it was building throughout that season. I think he, I remember him sort of having a conversation with me as a player and I'm sure he had it with a few of the other boys and he sort of said that um, he was staying more or less to try and stabilise the club coming from the National League but probably wasn't seeing the long-term being there. Um, I think him and obviously Tony had a great relationship and they still probably do now, you know, and I think he probably stayed on when, I think he probably, you know, maybe would have wanted to leave at the end of that season. Like I said, i I wasn't stupid I was a young lad at the time sometimes I'd be sitting in a stand I knew that at times of the brand of football we played not everyone really took to at times and things like that but probably for me still leaving was a was a massive moment really because around that time like you're saying I know I got injured and obviously I had my illness around that time and things like that but the faith that John Steele had in me and the confidence he instilled in me i I truly believe now that if he'd have stayed as my manager and I would have stayed injury free at the start of that thing I think I would have probably got a move um, and it wasn't saying I was looking to do but I just like you saying when we played that against Reading you know, and I honestly had not seen them goals until the other day someone put them on Twitter the other day and I, yeah. I, I hadn't seen them but I just, it just remem- made me remember back at that time I honestly just coming and get playing against Reading and I didn't care that we were playing against Reading I thought I'm going to score against these and do well against these and it was a naïve of being a young lad um, back towards the end of your career when you get older honestly you worry about every team you're playing whether it's the team down the bottom of the team you think oh if we don't beat these everyone's going to think we're rubbish playing against the top team you go oh my god we're playing against the best team in the league now but at a young age then I didn't I didn't care who we was playing against honestly truthfully didn't um, so for me it was a massive thing him leaving um, it was a massive blow to me because I knew how much he rated me as a player but also with him leaving that led to I'm not sure if he had left by then but Mark Arba leaving um you know, Greg Hill leaving, Wayne Purcell went to Leighton Orient, John Doolan, I think you mentioned him, before he left. Before you knew it, all these good players in and around me, and I, I remember thinking how good they was. Before we knew it, coming back that next summer, we yeah. didn't have nowhere near a stronger squad as we did then. It was real hard to take.
3: Well, you've, you, you sort of skipped on ahead a little bit there, because, yeah, like, I was going to say, obviously, 0 oh, sorry, 0 uh still leaves. Sh- uh, Shreves and Allen come in you weren't involved much because of injury uh, but the brilliant finish that season we won loads of games towards the end we beat Dagenham Yeovil loads of teams were in and around at the top and it was all looking really promising for the new season ahead Um, and I wanted to ask you about this because you know as somebody who who was there and and again I know we'll talk about why your season was curtailed in the following one but you know the names I wrote down here like Gower Arbour Gogo Doolan Percy yourself Lee Harrison on paper that's like it was a quality team for the conference and a team that had finished the league side it's the league side really most of those players all those players I just said left to go and play higher up and we finished 11th in that next season like why did that team not challenge was there was there something that we didn't see as supporters that was going on behind the scenes for that team not to kick on like it maybe should have
1: I think it was um, although sometimes when you look on paper which is the strongest team and as, as individuals you look at and go that's really strong I think it, it proved obviously with a conference team that I won it with and then obviously that, that's happened since with Martin and stuff probably it's the team that you maybe not, don't think that's going to do that well there's a um, there's either that experience of boys that um, want to do it and get into the league which we had but there's also younger boys coming through that's you know, kicking on and driving and just want to be league players this that and the other and um, I think I was a young boy at the time but I think for people like Greg Hill or Lee Harrison and all them boys, like you as fans, two years earlier, they was challenging at the top of League Two, and now all of a sudden, without being bad, they're going away to None Eaton in the National League or they're going to this, that, and the other. And I think, you know, a lot of them probably had had opportunities during that time as well to leave and things and there was obviously probably negotiations going on over money and stuff like that. But um I don't think we really had a group that was probably maybe all pulling in the same direction and um that, that happened. It wasn't anyone with bad eggs, honestly, because there was a great group of people to be around and loads of some of them older boys. But I think they all knew they was Football League players and they were just waiting for the when the opportunity or when it was accepted that they would go to other places. Um, so it took a few years and it took a bit of rebuilding, being honest, by Martin and then obviously following on with uh, Paul Fairclough it would go on to. But there was a rebuild that needed to happen after that League Two relegation team to get ready to go again.
3: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've got my note here bad eggs question mark and you've, you've used the same word but <laughs> yeah, there were I'm none um, and, and no. that's fair enough like um, as you say it, there was clearly a lot of talented players there and it's interesting when you talk about like that that yeah, maybe there was that feeling of inevitability that a lot of them were going to move on and like you say like, the Arbour thing happened and then Healed, Purser and Harrison all went to Orient together and, and it was all quite sudden the way a lot of it happened so I suppose, yeah, if you're in any industry if you're working somewhere and you know your next job move is coming up soon you maybe aren't quite at it to the same mm. level and that makes sense um kind of in that season obviously you had a really good start obviously you and junior are go up front um doing quite well you scored nine goals by november at that point you you were flying um and then obviously and you mentioned it a bit earlier you had your, your illness which you know never mind football it could have could have been a lot more um i yeah. think i remember reading about it a bit at the time and and sort of sharing a concern but maybe not knowing i mean it it was described at the time as like a life-threatening illness i mean i wonder if you could shed a bit of light on us in terms of what happened and how serious was it i suppose yeah look looking back it was quite a bit serious it was um don't want to pronounce
1: too much but it was my 40th birthday the other day and then um, my mum my mum <laughs> was actually talking to um my mother-in-law about it and it was the first time really honestly that i've actually Sat and listened and and to them talking about it. Like my dad joined in and said a few things. I didn't being honest, I didn't realise how probably serious it was. I um I I went to training on the Thursday and I remember saying, Oh my coins are like really hurting me when we trained. And I said it to one of the boys, but just didn't think anything of it. We trained on astro turf and stuff like that. So we didn't didn't think anything of it. And then um the Friday. I literally I felt so real, and I just like I couldn't go into training and I phoned up I spoke to the physio this that and the other and I said I don't know what's wrong with me like I don't feel well this that and the other he said alright don't worry I'll tell I think Peter Shrews was my manager, manager at the time um, and he said we're travelling tomorrow morning like obviously he still wants you involved he still wants you to play and this that and the other and I was like okay overnight I really properly I mean honestly was struggling massively and it got to the point the next morning my mum phoned Dame, his name was Damien Doyle the physio at the time and said Benny is proper like rough. We're really worried about him now. So he said, bring him back down to the training ground. I was at the first field. I got there and I'm not exaggerating. I could barely walk. I mean like proper. I was like being helped. And um, he said, listen, I think you should get him to hospital. I'll get a doctor referral now. Went to hospital, had tests done, still wasn't feeling particularly good, but they said I could go home. Um, and then I went home, still not feeling too good at home. And then my mum come rushing up the stairs. I remember it, obviously, to the day. She said, listen, we've just been phoned by the hospital. You've got, like, a blood infection. We've got to get you back there as soon as possible. And before I knew it, they was I was supposed to wait for an ambulance to come back and get me. My mum being my mum, she was like, no, we ain't waiting for an ambulance. threw me in the back of the car <laughs> with my dad and get rushed, rushed to the General Hospital. And, um, yeah, two weeks later, I was been in hospital. Uh, lost loads of weight, obviously, they got, the, got it, the the infection out of my system but I probably didn't realise how bad it was at the time but um, yeah pretty lucky that one I was a professional footballer and probably that they told me to get to hospital two that whoever said to do the blood test to check it and then obviously to get the treatment to sort me out but yeah during that time they had gone down and um, just to check what was going on because they didn't really know obviously what the, the dealings of it was but they found out that I had a double hernia so not only coming back from not being being well where I'd said my groins are hurting, obviously that's the area it affected. I had to have a double hernia operation, so I was pretty much out the rest of the season. Um so yeah, a scary time I think more for people around me than than myself. And looking back on it now, I obviously think I was lucky. But um also think oh, if I'd have stayed fit that season I <laughs> might have done quite
3: well with junior that year as well. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's one of those, maybe it was a good thing for you, you when you're a bit that young, early 20s, you're not maybe thinking as much of the realities of things. Um, mm. Yeah, I remember from the other side, like, I think we had Farnborough away early March and uh, I remember waiting for the supporters coach by the Queen's Arms and I don't know if you were going to meet the other players, but I remember seeing you in your Barnet tracksuit and obviously, you know, you're a professional footballer, you're in good shape, but you, it, it was clear you, you'd been ill. You looked like, you say, you'd lost a lot yes. of, of stuff. And I think... It it was a strange one for supporters because I think it was you know it, it, there's that worry that you know one of our own is 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 in a bad way and obviously he came through it and I, it, and it, I looking at I was looking at the fixtures earlier and kind of which games you played and by the end of that month you come on against Southport and you play against Woking at home in the last game of the season very brief like sub sort of cameos but was that Martin Allen because that was when he took over as caretaker yeah. Was that him doing it kind of for you and the fans or did you feel ready for that at that point or was that kind of just to kind of get make you feel part of it still and involved yeah it was exactly that I was honestly I was nowhere near
1: ready on that 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 um that uh, that season obviously by being ill and then losing so much weight and then coming back and then getting getting back to what I thought was going to be okay I remember joining in with the boys and I remember one day in training I was joining in with the boys and I was miles off it like I mean really really struggling I remember like just walking off and um Martin Allen just said, listen, it's clear that your season's over this year, but I'm going to still involve you. Martin's brilliant at the PR stuff. He knew how one to get me in and around the boys again, to make me cheer me up. And obviously I was down at the time. But also as well, I think he was really good at re-engaging with the, the fans and stuff like that. I think he played a massive part in that, you know, the fans and the players coming back together again. Um, and I think he just did it for, for that reason, you know, to keep, keep, keep my spirits up, but also to
3: show the fans, look, he's going to be back ready to play next season as well. Yeah, massively. And we'll come on to just a second about Martin Allen and that next season, which was a huge turning point for all of us when the three of us all met as mates in the terrace. Like everything was, but I've missed a key, key, key moment. I've got it written in capital letters in front of me here. was the goal at Stevenage in that season. We missed it all out. One of my favourite ever Barnet goals, I think. One of the best Barnet goals yeah. on the team. A goal that I think probably sparked the rivalry off between the two a bit more. Like that night was quite charged and a Monday night was quite weird in itself. Um I mean, first of all, thank you. <laughs> Great <choice> stuff <laughs> on our end that we ended up for. I mean, do you, it, was that one of the best goals of your career or, or is that just kind of a long way? No
1: yeah. no, yeah, look, it was. And obviously, that was the first time I really, I didn't really know too much to that point that there was such a massive rival between... There wasn't. The there really but wasn't. Yeah. How was the start yeah, of it? Yeah, and I remember it being the charged atmosphere in the ground. And look, yeah, it probably was one of my best goals I've ever scored, but... I think you boys, being Barnet fans are known, and I think Barnet fans in general are known at the time. I've got to be honest, I've probably tried overhead kicks about okay. <laughs> every other game. So, <laughs> and, and as uh, scoring one or two probably for Barnet probably showed, I didn't get it right on too many occasions. But um, yeah, winning there 2-1, I think I scored the second. I don't know if it was 2-0 up, I can't remember. But I remember it being... I think when you do things at a time, you don't really know. You know it was good, but I remember my dad watching that there, and my dad said it's probably one of the best goals I've, I've ever scored. And to be honest, like the goals generally that I see on Twitter the other day, the Reading game, I've never seen the goal since. I've ne- yeah, never I, th-
0: I think I think that footage is lost. I, I, as a sixteen-year-old, tried to call up both clubs <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to see if they had a video of the game, and I was told, I was told, basically, no. Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously the obviously the games weren't really recorded back then, so like, certainly, yeah, certainly not for the conference. So um yeah. I feel like that might be lost to the lost to history, but it definitely happened. It's in my head. I remember it. I remember remember being right behind it.
1: Yeah, and the best the best thing about that is obviously it was our overhead kick from near the halfway line, and people won't see it. So I can say whatever. <laughs> 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 it
3: gets, it's it's big, every big, time, every better, time you right? tell it, it can go a few more yards it back. Could be better and better. Yeah, that's yeah, the best thing completely wrong on this but in a pre-season game it's Arsenal a close range yeah, one, was that right yeah. like, down the North Terrace then? yeah, yeah. Um, it, got,
1: um, it got disallowed I was offside did. And it was, uh, uh, see, yeah, I remember it did.
3: the goal I didn't remember it I can, I can see the goal going in I can't remember the actual around it obviously you I'll, said I'll, at the start you're an Arsenal yeah. fan um, yeah uh, and um, we were, I was looking at one of the programmes the other day from around that time where you talk about favourite players and interviews of the players and you talked about Bergkamp Obviously, in that era, all through your Barnet career, we played Arsenal every summer, and for the fans, it's a bit of a novelty, a bit of a kind of showpiece game. Which actually, I think for regulars like us, by the end, we stopped going because it was a bit of pain having Underhill taken over by kind of dangerous. All Arsenal fans, weren't it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and the worst kind of Arsenal fans. I mean, I've got allegiances to Arsenal myself as well, uh, but the sort of people there were a pain in the arse for your yeah. Barnet goers. Um, was that? I mean that. Obviously, it's only increasing That must have been massive for you, though, as an Arsenal support beyond the same pitch as like Henri, Bergkamp, Vieira, and
1: so on. Yeah, and it was. Um, I remember there was a lot of um, coverage around that that day as well because it was Sol Campbell's first game for Arsenal. Yeah, and obviously, it's just gone over the thing from Tottenham, but that was look, that was amazing for me. Like I'm saying, being a massive Arsenal fan from a young age, and my I had season tickets to. I was like sixteen or whatever. My mum, my dad, and niece still have season tickets now. But um, yeah, it was just every other year it seemed to be they used to bring down all the big guns and they were just like amazing players you know Reyes uh, rest his soul now he's passed away I remember thinking he was the best player I've ever played on the same pitch against he was unbelievable one pre-season game against us remember had no idea who was at the time Yaya Toure played he was on yeah. trial he was rubbish he, was like, he missed yeah. that
3: goal,
1: <laughs> as I recall <laughs> <laughs> there's i I've got two pictures. one where it's like Omri's just about to obviously take me on another one I'm battling against Fabregas when he must be 16 but they're they were like amazing memories to look back on. And, you know, the fact I got to share the pitch. I remember Burkamp scoring a goal once. And I was, um, I'd come off, it was late in it. I remember standing up, crapping. Like, <laughs> well,
3: crap well, yeah, crap when he was saying about, he, he's there in front of the free kick, in front of the wall going like, yeah, just a bit to the left. And Burkamp's by the free kick. And it's gonna, yeah. going in either way. Like. Going in, don't know what we do. I have to say about, but without
2: labouring the point about Arsenal too much, because of course that's not the focus. But I do remember, as a fan, you you know, you sit on the sidelines, and the fact that we're on the sidelines means we're not good enough to be on the other side of the white line. But you, quite often, if you watch enough football, you start to see patterns of play, and you, you see a different view on it, and, and you kind of can see the past before it happens sometimes. And I never forget seeing Dennis Burkham play across that looked like it was a, a massively misplaced pass. And then suddenly the striker's on the other end of it. And when you see yeah. that kind of yeah. level, it, it's a different, it's, yeah, it's just different class. It's, especially someone like him, diff- just absolutely different class. And
1: it, it, it was honestly, it was all of them. It was all of them at that time. Obviously, they, look, they was up there with the best team in the country at the time. I think they was winning in the leagues and battling with new at the time. But it was just the, the people, they're not average players, but someone like a, a Ray Parler, who when you see him yeah. on the telly, doesn't look particularly big, you probably don't think he's that good. But then being on the same pitch as him, there's like, you know, our level of National League, League Two players, League One players. And then there's them Premier League boys. They're just, just unbelievable footballers, highly intelligent. And then obviously athletes to go with it the majority of the time, no, other being quick or strong or a bit of both. So it's just, they're brilliant to play in, but also at the same time, makes you um, realise how far away from them you are. I remember we went 1-0 up one year. I think Richard Graham scored after <laughs> And it seems to anger him. I think we lost about 11 or 12-1. one
2: 10-1. I was going to ask you, did you have a moment in your career where, at whatever age, you thought, do you know what, I, I, I can get there? Or did you have a height in your career that you thought, that's, that's where I belong or that's where I can get to? Uh,
1: no, I, I've got to be honest. From, I think I ended up playing League One. I played a year at League One for Brentford and I played a year at League One for um, Wickham. Do I think that I could have done better than that? Maybe the early part of my career, if I'd have, I would have, looked back on loads of stuff now, one thing I definitely didn't have, I didn't have the pace, and I didn't work hard enough in the gym. there are two things that I will look back on. I'm not saying I could have made myself be really quick, but I definitely think I could have worked harder at maybe being faster, and I definitely could have gone into the gym more. Um, and them early years, and is that something you was talking about as well, where I scored the overhead against Arsenal, and then we played Tottenham as well around that time. And I scored a couple of goals. And then um, That was the first time in my career that I actually got linked with a few big clubs. And, and it was like the first time I thought maybe this could happen. But being honest, would I, was I ever good enough to play at that level? I probably was. And I think I did well to make it to League One. I don't look back with too many regrets. But you can always think maybe I could have done a little bit better.
0: Well, as far as I'm concerned, that goal for that, that overhead against Arsenal should have counted, given it was forty yards out. That's how I remember. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, you're right. <laughs> um, back to Barnet. Um, so obviously at the back end of 0203, sort of Marty Allen's taken over as caretaker, um, and then you move into the 0304 season, and we sort of spoke about you know a lot of big names had left, um, and it maybe felt like that there was still a lot of rebuilding to do. Um. Going into this, that, that following season, how did you feel our prospects were? We, we have heard about a, uh, a pre-season sort of house party that happened uh, <laughs> under that Martin good. Allen. So I wonder if you could just shed a little bit of light on that from your perspective. Um, <laughs> and then what that did to sort of build a little bit among, of rapport amongst what was quite actually a new squad. Yeah, it was, that, that, off, that summer for me
1: was just a bit of a mad one. Obviously, I'd been ill that the time before I missed pretty much the whole season and then it was all geared around being ready for that pre-season. There'd been such a turnover of players, but Martin obviously he was a young manager at the time, but you could tell by the type of players he was signing and bringing in and getting back into pre-season. Um, such a hard pre-season. John Steele's pre-season when I was young were like really, really tough. But in terms of pre I've done throughout my career, my two hardest ones have been with Martin that summer. Um And then when I sign for him again at Gillingham, he, um, we were proper fit, and then, like you said, we we went to his house um, up in Reading, and it was just we went there. We run through the woods, really tough. But then it was like work hard and then uh, play hard. We started drinking. There was uh, barbecue going on. I remember we had Danny Maddox, who had played for QPR, I think, in the Premier League. Like he was our chef. Like there's me, like, <laughs> there's me, like a young lad going to Danny Maddox he said, can you get me a burger, please, mate? Come <laughs> <laughs> it was just like. I remember we drew out like lots for where you slept. I remember sleeping in his front room. I think Gratz was supposed to sleep on the. Um, I think he was on the hammock in the garden, yeah. something like that. Grats was supposed to be. I think it, it was. It was, um, I mean. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was the first time I got to really get to know Grats, um, Ian Hendon, um, just some of them more experienced boys as well. But then added in with um, you know people that become real good mates. You know Simon King, who just signed for the football club, and people like that. We went out, had, you know, a good night out together. And I think leading into that season, and that was leading up, I think he started to build a real good team spirit and, um, yeah, good people as well to go with it.
0: And we started that season, you know, really well in terms of, like, on the pitch. And it felt like as a result of that pre-season, that sort of almost, you know, call it a team-building exercise, if you like, that sort of, um, you know, really got us going on the pitch as well Is at any point in that season were you thinking right we could really you, we could really make a go of this yeah I think I think
1: we we realized from pretty early doors that we was um, a quite good team I remember just remember for me as well like I'd been out obviously ill and all that stuff and I scored the first day of the season I think we played I think it was Telford I think it was and they That's was right,
0: yeah.
1: throwing all sorts of money around they was the team to beat this that and the other and um just in terms of like man management things, I remember going into training on the Monday and then um, I was in the, like getting changed and changing room and stuff like that. And then one of the boys said, Gaffer wants to see you. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I ain't done nothing. Before I was in trouble. <laughs> Normally like, what have I done? The manager wants to see me. And then Martin was there and he's was like, how good was that goal? That was amazing, wasn't it? How good that for all your family there? I was like, yeah, it was like wicked. My mum, dad, everyone was back watching me and that. But it was, um, just his little way as well, just give me another little boost to let me know that I was back from, obviously, what I struggled the year before. But in terms of the group, we just, all of a sudden, you looked around and, you know, you had Gratz playing up front. I think we would signed Hatchy that that summer as well. And he had a few problems of injuries and stuff, but he was something different to what we hadn't had as well. Um, you know, like I'm saying, Danny Maddox, Chris Plummer. Um, we just, it felt back to probably two, three years earlier when I was back to feeling one of the younger boys again with a lot of experienced boys in and around me that I was having to try and impress again and trying to show them that I was a good player. So it was probably, for me as a young player, like really good because it sort of then made me go, right, I've got to impress Ian Hendon, Giuliano and Chris Plum, you know, because they all of a sudden come in and if you weren't doing things properly, they were going to tell you it. So it was, um, it was a good mixture and I think we realised pretty early doors that we had a good chance of being I wouldn't ever thought that no, I thought we were going to win it that year, but I certainly thought that well, like, we're going to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season.
3: Yeah, we talked to Gratz and we said that I mean within that team you probably had you had a few very good footballers definitely, but players who maybe were overachieving uh, as a result of the team working. And Gratz was saying about how uh, you know Martin Allen made you feel like the best player you you could be. You know you felt confident going out. And he talked about the, the team spirit as well. And like in that season, there were a lot of short-term loans and players who came in and out and stuff. And he said that there was that real kind of... Once they came in, they were part of it straight away. Um, he talked about Wednesday afternoon in Browns and that being a... <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> good. That Very um, yeah, good fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, was that like... You know, as supporters, I think, and I've said it before so Greg, like we loved that team because you you really felt connected from the terrorists like that they were kind of like I mean, obviously at that level you kind of sort of kind of normal blokes who are like giving it their all and they're doing it for Barnet and and you know, you felt really part of it. Um, was that one of the best in terms of the times you were there and we'll talk at the end about your your different eras at Barnet. Was that team spirit up to that point maybe the best it had been at the club or
1: yeah, I think I think in a different way. I think because like, like you said there, you know, I think it was the first time in probably a couple of years that um the players and the fans seemed to re engage and I think I think know one of was obviously Martin was very good at that sort of stuff and he and he still is, you know, in, in terms of getting fans on the boys' side, you know, want us to do well. But I think it was um it's back to the way, probably when John Steele, I think we was a good team when we was really working for each other. And the one thing that Martin demands of you is that you work hard and you run for each other and you, you know show care in playing for the football club. And I think that that had evidently come back into the boys. And like you're saying, you know, we had signed lads from Farnborough and here, there, and everywhere. It wasn't probably your household names that you know people probably felt like underachieved. I felt we everyone felt we were overachieving that year. Um, but for me, it was just lucky. I like. I got to be really close with Ian Hendon, Gratz and Kingy. They were probably like my four real close mates at the time sort of thing. And um, like you we I ended up, and then it was the same sort of relationship as well with Ian Hendon and Grazio that I had with people like Sam Stockley and Darren Curry. You know, they was older boys that I looked up to and was going out with them and having a good time. But then also I think that fed into when you go out and you've got a good relationship off the pitch, you know, if, Someone was to even think about kicking Gratz or doing something to Grats in the game, you'd like be one of the first people I'd have his back because you become real tight and friends. And I knew that with Ian Hendon, he always had my back. I started playing right midfield a little bit towards the end of that season, and left midfield as well. And um, you start to get them friends within the group as well, that ultimately leads into them being a real good team.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask that, that season, I mean, you know, I was looking up early, you scored 10 goals that were quite spread out because you'd had the two seasons previous where. You had a great start and scored a similar number, but then injuries and whatever kind of slowed you down. Um, and yeah, like you said, your role kind of started to change a little bit, dropping a bit deeper into midfield as well. Um, we were talking, the three of us, before you came on the Zoom call about um, some of the goals you scored that season. There was a really good goal, one of my favourites in the whole season for some We were woken away on Boxing Day. Long one yeah. at the top by Hendo. And it was almost the other way around to what it was normally, that Gratz held it up knocked it down for you I remember you like really bottom corner for about 20 yards great finish really yeah. good team goal uh kind of what that side was about the way it was kind of organized and it happened uh, remember a really good free kick at Forest Green quite late in the season as well and the away game there um and then obviously when we'll come on to the playoffs in a bit but you scored in the home leg against Shrewsbury I think it was a penalty of my, my
0: yeah it was yeah
3: yeah, yeah. right um, so you know, you scored a couple of quite a lot of big goals in the second half of that season, as in the second half of the next season, which we'll come on to. Um was that so that role changing over the course of that season, did that start to happen under Allen or was that when Fairclough came in after Martin left in March? No, it was just it was under it was it was all under Martin Allen. I think we remember
1: um we we brought in Beads in at the time, big yeah. centre yeah. forward, big lad and um, we, um, I'd been playing up front with Gratz. I think Hatchie was injured at the time and I'd been playing up front with Grats, and he bought Beats in and um, we went to Stevenage away yeah. and um, I was on the bench and I remember he left out me. I think it might have been Danny Nesbitt. I can't remember. He, met, he left out about two or three of us. I can't remember. And um, that had been sort of regulars and we trained on the Friday and I, I didn't realise it at the time but it's probably one of the best things that happens with me with Martin and obviously as things go on and stuff. But... I didn't sulk about anything. I, I I honestly was honest enough with myself. And I've always been really critical of myself. People might not think it, but I've always, like, even when I was doing well, I'd, I'd be my biggest critic. And then um, I didn't think I was playing well enough at the time to be in the team. So when he left me out for beads, I didn't sulk about it. And on the Friday, I was on the team going up against the team player. And I trained really well. And I think Martin sort of went, well, he ain't sulked. He ain't like throwing his toys out of the pram that sometimes happens. And I've done it in my career. I'm not pretending I haven't. I have done that in my career. Um, and then at half-time against Stevenage, we were losing, I think, 1-0 or something. And he pulled me and he said, you're going on left midfield. And I, I was like, right, OK, I'd never played there before. And we ended up coming coming back around. I think we won 2-1 or something. Or I, I, can't, I can't remember the ins and outs of it, but yeah, I'm, I remember him then saying to me, look, I think you can play there, you know, I think you, you know work, as well as you do up front. I think with someone having a vocal point out there, it's better holding the ball up for us. So I think you can get into becoming a more of an attacking midfielder for me. And I just remember that and in, in, in and around that time, I think I was playing left midfield and we had Ishmael Yaakobi playing right midfield. <laughs> <the> <laughs> he finals. played everywhere, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like, just only Martin could put me a centre forward at left midfield and somehow it'll work. And then, you know, Ishu went on to be a real good centre I playing right midfield. But I think he he liked the athleticism of Ish and his strength. And he obviously knew that I could chip him with a few goals and obviously would work up and down on that left side as well. So, yeah, just, it was just, just Martin, just doing different things. And then um, that sort of turned into them, you know, me having a bit of more of a spell playing midfield feel throughout my career.
0: I remember, that. I remember that game quite well, because that was where that rival. rivalry was building a little bit. And it was the second year in a row that we won there. I remember yeah. he took Hendon off at half-time and he sent him into the stand. It was yeah. just little, little things like that that sort of got the supporters really bought into his, uh, his ethos, his brand of doing things that really sort of, you know, you alluded to it, uh, alluded to it earlier where you're talking about getting the fans back on, back on side. Did you sort of get a sense that that became more and more important as that season went on? Yeah, definitely. And in, in, in any successful
1: um, team, you know, I've been lucky that I've been in a few promotions now, but it's when that connection between the fans and the the players becomes really strong. And even when it's, it's that thing of, you know, if you go behind in a game and all the fans are, oh my God, we're going to lose again, that thing. Or it doesn't matter, we're going behind. We've got faith in this team that they're going to turn it around. and you've got that different atmosphere within the ground. I think it started to started to grow that I could tell that, one, the fans obviously liked the boys again. Um, I think they understood that we were trying really hard for the team. I think everyone liked the way Martin did things. And, you know, some he used to get fans on the coach. Like we'd stop on the way to away games and he'd be like driver stop and then go, you could be just walking along and you get free fans on and make the players move and whatever go on you can sit there send boys into the crowd we're doing much more community stuff that we should always have been doing this that and the other but he just he got what it took to be a, a lower league manager and I think he went on to do it throughout his career and all that sort of stuff but um yeah I think there, we could tell that there was more of a bond coming back between the fans and the players and then um, only that come down to Martin, but obviously the boys, you know, you guys, seeing that we was obviously turned into a better team and one that probably cared for the player for it as well.
2: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that, 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 so for, I guess for all of us as fans, the, the minute Martin Allen, I, I remember it. I remember being in bed and waking up to three text messages from people. It was a really weird feeling, and it was I didn't sleep that night. Um, I think we asked Rats about it. It'd be interesting to hear your view on, as from, from a player's point of view. You, I guess you didn't see it coming, or or,
1: or how was it? Look, now I think we none of us probably see it coming. It, we obviously when Brentford job come up, but Martin, you know, it had turned things around at and I think obviously he was a young manager at the time, so he probably sought after. But it all happened pretty quickly. But I don't know. if Gratz mentioned it, and obviously that it, it, you know me and Paul Fairclough's relationship wasn't good, but it got off to because it was lit, honestly a week before Martin Allen left. Um, Paul Fairclough had named his England C squad and I was I was on like the standby list so so basically there's a group that gets named and when there's about four or five of you that you know if someone pulls out then you're in and um, I remember getting a letter and it said that you had to phone up I think it was on the Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening to see if anyone had pulled out and then you would be in the squad on the Monday and uh, naively, I look back and I think why have I done that but I looked to thought. I ain't going to phone up, and then you go, no mate, no, no one's pulled out, you're still not in the squad, and make an arse of myself, so I was just like, if someone pulls out, they phone me, I'll get a call, this, that and the other, I remember going into training on the Monday morning, and then um, uh, one of the boys said, oh, Gaffer said, as soon as you get here, he wants you to see you up in his office, so I went up, and Martin was like, what have you done, you've been a naughty boy, like, taking the mick out of me, and I'm like, what do you mean, what have I done, he said, I've had Paul Fairclough on the phone, you were supposed to have phoned up yesterday, you're supposed to be in the squad now. I was just like, oh God, I said, look yeah, I I was supposed to. So. I said, I thought they would call me if I'd been thing he went, Look, I'll get him on the line now. So he done it on like loudspeaker and <laughs> oh, fair should fair I just say, weren't too pleasant with me, just sort of said, you know, you was your opportunity to come and play this that, and the other, you haven't done what he said in the letter, so you're not getting called up, this, that, and the other. And I remember like him putting a phone down, Martin looking at me, like taking the mick out of me, laughing at me, gang, You idiot or whatever. And then I just went back and didn't think nothing of it. And then a week later I swear Graz will, is, is will tell you the truth on it. Martin left and then Gratz phoned me up and he said, You know who's gonna become the an <laughs> new <laughs> And I was I thought he was just winding me up because obviously he knew the story of it all this down the other and he went listen to James, I'm not I'm not taking the piss, I promise you he's gonna become temporary manager till the end of the season. So I just remember thinking, Oh <laughs> that's me on the bench for the rest of the season. I ain't gonna be playing now that that's happened. But um but- we
2: we'll cover the whole. Sorry, we we'll cover we we'll cover the, the the Paul Fairclough era, of course, because it's a, a big point. But um, that kind of uh, you've been a professional footballer for a long time. Manager now, is it normal to have a situation where you're expected to phone up
1: to see whether there's? I mean, is that a is that a reasonable way to behave? Or... <sighs> oh, don't look. I, if listen, it's, when I look back on it now, and you think if that's the way that England non-league team wanted it to be done at the time, then I should have just done it. And I'm an idiot for not doing it. But um, I truthfully just thought if I phone up and I'm not in the squad, I'm going to look like such an idiot on the other end of the phone. And But the other side of me looks at me now and goes, well, what does it matter if you had phoned up and said, no, sorry, mate, you're not in the squad. Everyone's going. You'd have been playing for England C team. So I was an idiot about how I was, but it didn't get me off to a good start with Paul and then, um, we'll go on to it like as we go now. But the best thing about it was obviously we had that reunion um last year that Graz and everyone organised. And the best thing about it was I could have a conversation with Paul Faircliffe, not him being my manager now and me being his player. And me also being a, a manager now myself and sort of um being old enough and wise enough to say, listen, I made some mistakes back then. And I apologise to him, you know, and we'll probably go on to it a little bit more. But he was probably the only manager really throughout my career that I didn't have a great relationship with. And, um, it's always two-sided, but I certainly probably put 70% in my my fault and 30% in his. I think it was more to do with me than Paul, to be honest.
2: That, that probably takes us quite neatly to the playoffs, Ian. I don't know if you want to cover that, that
3: first yeah, obviously we Obviously, the, the first game in Shrewsbury, in which we, um, yeah, we kind of stumbled into the playoffs that year. Alan left. We lost a bit of momentum. A lot of draws, um, and you know, really disappointing defeat at Hereford. I don't know if you remember that one, where Hendon missed the penalty when we were one 0 down, which was way yeah. back in. He kind of redeemed himself. I mean, not that he needed to redeem himself, but he scored the winner against Burton on Easter Monday, and then that Leo and I game, last match of the season, where we got over the line, finished fourth, uh, and then played Shrewsbury. You um, scored the penalty in the first leg, and then Christie's last minute winner. Um, which was one of my favourite ever goals at Underhill. The scenes on the East Terrace were magnificent um, and obviously then we go up there on the Maybank holiday, loads of Barnet fans they were probably the better team um, but you know we, we were quite resolute. Shane Gore who got coming on in a couple of episodes time was magnificent in goal that day did a great job, they didn't score an open play um, and then obviously it, we lost on penalties and um, and I think what we all remember was the, the pitch invasion. I remember mean, being behind the goal, watching the whole ground just spill on, and Barnet players trying to sort of fight their way through to the to give us a bit of an acknowledgement. And obviously, I know your, your route through the Shrewsbury fans wasn't as smooth as some of the yeah. others. Yeah, it it was uh,
1: it was just weird that whole whole thing. Obviously, you talk about me taking take score scoring a penny. I didn't even I completely forgot that Hendo and Mister Penny. I just remember Ian Hendon was our penny taker at the time. And that night he was down to be the penny taker. and he just—I remembered him just saying to me, um, "Stroes, you take it." Um, and it was just—I didn't have no time to be nervous about it, thinking about a playoff game because he just said to me, "You're taking it." And I went, "All right, yeah, I will take it," because I'd always said to him, "If you never don't fancy, I'll take it." But the the second leg there, it was—it um, was really like I had a good relationship with Hatchie. You know, I got on well with him as a person, but I remember being fuming with him on that day. And look, it turned out it was the best for us. We was brilliant the next season. But yeah. I was standing right there, and he he said he said that he didn't mean to handball it, but I was in a position where I turned and watched him do it, and let's just say he didn't need to handball it. But <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 me and him had a massive argument about it on the pitch, had a like a blazing row in the dressing room, like pretty close to fighting about it after the game and stuff like that. But that was just because you know we were so gutted. we were so close. It was probably the first time in my career as well, really, where it was. Um, you realise, you know, when when people say about teams or players not playing well in, you know, international games, World Cup games, it's there's a difference between when you're in a playoff game about just um, not all, like being scared of losing or just going for it to win, and I think that second leg up there, I know I certainly felt like I. I played within myself that second leg where I just was so on I don't want to lose this game where I wish I would have just gone no let's go out there and play the way we have done and go after and try and win it it wasn't nothing from Paul we just didn't play well on the day and um, losing on the penalties like you said and um I remember being a Larry little shit as well. I celebrated too much when I scored my penalty. started giving it to the the <laughs> I, Like you said, after the game, I remember being down on my hands and knees and one of them come and give me a slap, <laughs> which I, um, I probably deserved it. He's probably one of the ones behind the goal that I was giving it to when I scored that penalty. But um, yeah, I remember walking back to towards the fans being gutted that we had lost and also just having been given a bit of a slap as well, which <laughs> we I this really time. <laughs> I remember
2: their the fans... My, there's two things I really remember about it. One, one is that, that moment that you just described, but also um, they seemed more keen on gloating about going through than they did about celebrating winning, and it felt like a really, um, a really weird atmosphere in there. And I, I also remember from that day, well, I, the other two will definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was one of the early introductions of what they tried as the silver goal rule, no, not did, the golden yeah, goal, yeah. Um, and the referee having to walk off somewhere yeah. in the extra time. To go and have to check what the rules were himself because he wasn't sure what the rules were. It's a very, it's a very. There's something great about non-league football, and it's that kind of stuff that you, yeah. you, get,
1: you, know, <laughs> you don't get it anywhere else. But, uh, it's yeah. it's, it's really weird with that because obviously I lost in the um, the playoffs last year as a manager, and um, I thought the same last year with the Salford fans. They were so busy coming over and hammering yeah. the Eastleigh fans. I'm just like, you've won. You're going to Wembley. You know, it's an amazing thing. Just celebrate with your players and. Um, to be fair, that day as well, when I got the, the slap on the back of the head, the best thing about that was, and the, not that I want to get anyone in trouble with it, but I literally, <laughs> as I like got up, didn't even know who had done it, one of their stewards had grabbed whoever it did, and they, like, the police were proper like, fuming about it. obviously wanted me to do a statement on it and all that sort of stuff, because I think they thought as well, like, you've just yeah. won. The last thing you should be really doing is caring about us, Barnet players. Just don't worry about us, be jumping around and all your show like, players and enjoy it and this, that and the other, but... Like I said, in the hindsight, didn't know it at the time, and I'm sure you guys didn't realise it either, but we were probably, I don't know whether we'd been prepared to go up to League 2 that that, that, that following year. Um, Listen, we'd have gone with it, and I think you guys would have loved to have been there as well. But I think ultimately, not going up, and then that group of players stand together, and then Paul adding so many good players to it, you know, we was was a better team the following season, the one that ended up um, winning League.
3: Yeah, I mean, so that, that shows the game for me at the time was my biggest heartbreak as a football fan. I, I would cry my eyes out I had to person on the terrace, and you, know, you say a bit of a slap. I remember we saw you at the uh, Player of the Year awards the following Saturday in the Durham Suite, and you had a big black eye, and also, it serious, <laughs> look, looked like quite a serious whack. Um, which oh, yeah. went beyond a, a couple of Durham Suite incidents in the year of 2004. So I remember seeing, <laughs> seeing you there with your black eye. I'm um, gonna kind of go backwards a little bit now and uh, give it context. So from that season, I've got uh, oh yeah, the shirt, yeah, far, far away <laughs> shirt. Which I, I was 15 at the time. Which I think you're probably a bit old to get players' names on the back of your shirt at that point. <laughs> and uh, I remember in that season, I think we had Margay at home. We won three-one. And before the game, I'm sat in the bar and you came in to, before the game at like 12, 1 o'clock. I'm with my pint of Coke, watching whatever the early Your programme. Uh, reading the yeah. programme, just <laughs> loving being a Barnet fan and weird and whatever else. Uh, and your girlfriend or partner at the time, she comes in with you. And I was sitting there with Streven's 10 on my back. And I can remember being aware over my shoulder that she's nudging you, going, look, look, like, he, he, he's got <laughs> And you being, I think, forced in to give me a little tap on the shoulder a bit, like, ah! <laughs> oh. And it was the like most awkward, horrible thing ever. So, so I, I apologise for getting your name printed, because I think I, it made me realise at 15 you're too old to get players' names in your shirt. And for you, it was really awkward to be like, oh, thanks, mate. But that leads me on to that summer of 2004, where uh, you handed in a transfer request, and we had a and um, a Q&A with Paul Fairclough, yourself, yeah. and Simon King, and I... It, it feels really good to get this off my chest 16 years later. I want to apologise, Ben, for... At the end of that Q&A, it's gone really smoothly. You've turned up a week after handing in a transfer request, um, answered general questions really well, and everyone's sort of enough. And they've gone, yeah, one more question. Now, at the time, I'm 15. I've got a Barnet website. I'm, I'm that kind of teenager. Um, and I've put my hand up, and they pick me And I put you on the spot and I said, why have you handed in the transfer request? I want to say I'm very sorry, Um, but I'm also going to say I don't necessarily remember the answer so much at the time because I think the adrenaline was kicking a bit. Wow, I've got to ask the question. Uh, Was that now with what we know all because of the Paul Fairclough thing that the request came in? Or was it because you had a good season and you thought, right, I want to try and challenge myself higher up?
1: It, honestly, it was all all in and around um, the same time, and I probably didn't give the answer that I can give now because of obviously being sat there and it being so delicate and that. But um, just before Martin Allen had left, obviously I was doing quite well. Um, he offered me a new contract on more money than I was on, and it was all all agreed and ready for me to sign. And um, when Paul Fairclough came in, he said, um, well, "I'm not going to. We're not going to be signing off on that contract yet. We'll deal with it in the summer because I'm just taking over this that and the other." And then um, that summer he told me that I wouldn't be getting an improved deal that Martin had offered me and um, and sort of said, I'm not sure that, you know, you'll be a regular, this, that and the other. Um, and he said there'd have been a bit of interest of a few other teams are coming in for me. So it got to the point where, yeah, it was probably, I said me and him didn't get off to the best start, but that summer was probably where it got really bad. We, thinking, we went back pre-season training and then I'd sort of probably got a little bit of the ump about it and knowing that I weren't getting an increase. And uh, I took it personally as it was, all fair Fairclough not giving me the increase. Now I look back on it, like I said, and I um, see it from a managerial point of view. You get given a budget in the summer. You're trying to bring other players into the football club. You're trying to make the team the best it is without being bad. I still had, I think, either a year or I think a year left on my contract. He probably just didn't see it as a necessity to give me a, a longer-term contract or more money, but for me at the time, it was just more or less him saying that he didn't rate me as much as Martin did. That's how I took it anyway. And like I'm saying, in hindsight, I was completely wrong, but um, yes, I I thought I was leaving at one point. It really looked like I was going to be leaving that summer. And, um, Thankfully for me, I didn't because um, it would have meant that I didn't obviously ultimately get to get promoted back up into the league with the club as well. And um, I think I would have left with a bit of a bit of taste in my mouth as well. I know I didn't leave on the best of terms when I did leave, but um, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'll be forever grateful that I didn't leave that summer. I suppose that leads neatly
2: into the promotion. Yeah, I don't know, James. You had some thoughts on this before.
0: Yeah, I mean, you sort of spoke about that, and we look, look back at the sort of start of that season. Actually, you did you did start in the team that season, and. Uh, Obviously, like the season before, we got off like a house on fire, and even even uh, you know even better than the season before. We were beating teams out of sight, three, four, five nil. Um, you name it, week in, week out. We were turning up expecting to win. So, being part of that team, uh, did you find that there was a uh, you found that we got that extra spark that we needed to get us get us into the into the league? Obviously, we went top of the league at Canvey Island, and obviously we we ended up staying there for the whole year. Um, did you think that that it was meant to be, or or, or was there sort of you're working hard every week and you know, having to make sure that you know we we turned up and and did the job every week?
1: I think we could tell from um, pre-season we was a pretty strong team. I think it was um, it was really weird for me and Simon Clist that summer. And both both of us looked like we was going to be leaving. Um, Paul would had, had similar conversations with me and Clisty saying that he wouldn't be probably a regular and I I wouldn't be either. Um, And in the team, you know, the boys being brought into the group, you know, I remember, uh, you know, adding people like Dwayne Lee and Nicky Bailey, Dean Sinclair. Just before we knew it, before, I think it was probably a week before the season started, two weeks before it, um, said to Clisty, you'll be starting at left-back. Simon King, obviously, had moved to left-side centre-half. Said to me, I'll be playing right midfield. And it just, just sort of come together in terms of, it felt like the best, Paul found a way of getting the best players left in, in the group into a team and then um, someone like Nicky Bailey you could tell Nicky was going to be quality but he was just you know he had just come into the group so he wasn't really ready to be a regular I remember it being Dean Sinclair and Dwayne Stein centre so midfield Richard Graham on the left me on the right and then um, I think we just I think the winning away at Carlisle was the big moment I think for all of us mm. in that season you know going there it being a massive crowd and being probably not expecting to win going there and winning I think that was the first first time that I really thought, yeah, we're going to, I think we're a good team. We're going to win the league this year. And um, I think it ended up just we just snowball and kept going and getting better and better. We had a few tricky moments. I remember losing away at Akron and Stanley and that was a tricky moment during the season. But I think, I think we all felt like we had a real good t- chance of winning the league that year.
0: Yeah, it was, it was we, we spoke about that before as well in the sense that, yeah, you know, that Carlisle game and the Exeter game, the previous sort of Tuesday or the Tuesday, yeah. a, a week or so before, we were missing a couple of senior players from both of those games but we still had the quality in the side. We didn't necessarily have depth, but we still had quality. And we went to those games and we won 3-0 and 3-1. And that's when you're sort of looking at that and going, wow, what have we got here? What have we got ourselves into? You know, this is, this is looking actually pretty strong. And, you know, like you said, we did have a few small dips, but, you know, by the time we got to Christmas, we were 12, 13, 14 points clear. Did you sort of think at that point that, you know, this is done or was, or was there still like that focus to just try and you know, push it as far as we possibly could. Yeah, I think probably being lucky that that happened the year before where we went into the playoffs, I think we
1: always you know, really focused on not getting carried away and trying to win it. Because I think, I don't, I know probably the fans didn't want either, but the last thing we wanted to do was drop out of that. All may matter places and then going to them playoffs again, you know, how tough it was that year before. So I think we knew we was a good team. I think I remember Paul Fairclough telling a story about the time. I remember Graham Wesley trying to play mind games with the whole like, we're going to catch you this, that, and the other. And he was just an idiot. Um, the Carlisle, <laughs> Carlisle were a strong team, had real good players. But we just, um, like you're saying, I remember like Lee Roach coming into the team and doing well and scoring goals. And Nicky then coming to the team at different times and becoming a regular and with brilliant. Dean Sinclair was amazing. I remember Kingy just being like, Going from being a quite a good left back Kingy to becoming me watching him playing centre half, left side centre half, going, He's as good as any like centre half I've played with a Barney, you know, people like Mark Harbour, Greg Hill and people like that. And I remember thinking, God, Kingy's like real good. Um, Scott Tynan come in from nowhere, didn't have no clue who Scott was, obviously left Gory out. Gorey had such a good into the season before and that was a uh, that was tough for Gory and he ended up becoming a real important part of the squad actually, Gory, because most times if you get left out of the team and you're a goalkeeper, you, you sulk and you're not good to be around. But he was a real good person to be around all the time, Gory. Um, and then we just had, look, we had Gratz up front and we knew pretty much even in, when games were, were tight, he would pop up, the little fellow, and he would always be in the box. He rarely scored outside the box apart from Halifax, obviously, which was an unbelievable goal. But <laughs> yeah. we just we just knew that if we stayed in games, he would more or less always find a way of winning us the match and he did that season. He was um, he was brilliant for us that year.
3: Yeah, and we had the goals from midfield as well which he was saying on his one that the year before you relied on him very heavily and in this season though you had say Sinclair, Bailey, whoever else chipping him with the goals. Uh, like you said we, we saw the quality on the pitch. I mean, off the pitch was there the same togetherness as the Martin Allen season the year before? Maybe a lesser talented team but a really good team spirit or was under Fairclough in the title winning season was it more professional and more or did it still have the same sort of fun social side for the players off the pitch
1: I think that that year it was um, it was really weird when like there wasn't a, a, like a click in, in the group in terms of because we all got on with each other but you sort of had you had Dean Sinclair Dwayne Lee Rochi, Nikki Bailey that sort of were really close with each other and then you obviously had like me Kingy Ando uh, Scott Tyne people like that. We we had like two groups that probably socialised more than anything with each other. You know, going out on nights out and days out this that and the other. But then when we was all around each other in the group, you know, we could still have a laugh with each other, still get on really well. You know, it, it weren't like it always like we'd talk about them and they'd say, "Oh, you should be playing instead of him. You're better than this that and the other." It was just it's probably a little bit of a divide in terms of just age groups and things. I think as well, just um, so some of them were younger boys coming in and um, things like that. But we just had, we just, I just remember thinking like we've got some real good players here, you know, like Richard Graham. I didn't know too much about Richie, but just playing on the pitch with him, you know, in, in some games he was almost unplayable. He was probably the first person I played with during my career. in this football change. now. Who, he was obviously right footed, but he loved playing on the left side, could inside. And then he also got so cross and stuff like that. And, um, you had Dean Sinclair, who I remember, like like I said about when I was younger. Dean just from midfield, he had so much energy, and he just didn't care who we was playing against. Dean, he probably just want to think he could score every game. Um, Dwayne was probably one of the most laid back characters you're ever gonna uh, meet, just but just have quality and calm and influence in the game, and just control the game for us, um, make it look effortless. And then you had actually up front that, being honest, actually used to drive us insane. Actually, being <laughs> his teammate because he used to be. Give the ball away, but then at the same time he was he was our pain in the butt. He, you know, the way he charged around, the way he fought for the team, the way he headed, the way look. Sometimes he might give the ball away, but then he would chase back sixty yards and smash someone to put tackle, and it used to get you guys, the fans, going over that side as well. And you know when we went down, start singing the match, chat, chat. We just had a we had a mixture that somehow worked, and um, like I'm saying, even actually the one that used to drive us insane at times. He used to get smashed so many times that season because I think opposing teams didn't like playing against him as well. We always we used to have back. He was like, we used to protect him and look after him and stuff as well. So, um, and obviously the experience of Gratz and Hendo, they were our two real experienced boys. They were brilliant around the group. You know? They got on well with the young boys and obviously ones that were middle-aged as well. People like myself and that as well. We, had, we just had a good mixture within the group, I think, that year. From your point of view, was
2: there ever a moment where you thought, I'm a striker? And I'm being asked to play out in in right midfield or wherever else you might be needed to play, or was it it was it exciting enough, important enough just to be part of what was quite a, a good squad and, and a successful team?
1: The oh, yeah, yeah, the only times I really, I, I always wanted a platform. I didn't I didn't hide that, that to Paul Fairclough. I said, look, I'll play I'll play out wide because it means I'm in the team. I always wanted to play there, but it was it was always tough for me the fact that when say actually got injured or you know, things like that. And I used to go and play up front. I remember a couple of times during that season, I would move from being right midfield, go up front and then Hatchie might be fit the next game. And then someone like Nicky Bailey would have probably come in the team and played brilliantly on the right-hand side of the midfield. And Nicky probably was a better right midfielder than me. I'd be then on the bench the next game. And I remember remember that being quite hard for me to take during the season. But ultimately, I think we all filled in and we all did, you know, played a lot of games that season. I think towards the back end of my career, I, I, when I went to Eastleigh, I started playing centre midfield. I honestly believed, I, I think I would have, might have had a better career if I'd have played centre midfield the majority of my career. But certainly playing left and right, I think, made me appreciate being, you know, a forward at times more and also helping out defensively. When you're a striker, you just worry about scoring goals. And I think that helped as well, not having the pressure of always being the goal scorer as well. I think playing in the midfield, if you chip in with seven, eight goals, you know, went on a little run at the end of the season scoring goals. People remember that rather than thinking, oh, we didn't really score that many goals that year. It was more that chipping with goals when it was needed.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what you did at the back end of that season. You know, there was a couple of games there where, you know, it was a little bit tight. I think I remember sort of Forest Green and Canvey Island sort of towards the end where we're just trying to get ourselves over the line, even though we had a big sort of gap. We're still trying to sort of get our way through and there's those couple of goals there. And then, of course, you've got the Halifax game. So, we went to Northwich the week before and uh, we really struggled there and perhaps didn't turn up. But then we get back to Underhill, the place is full and, you know, you've chipped in with... It was the equaliser, wasn't it? Yeah, I made it 1-1, one, 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 yeah. Yeah, 1-1. One, one. So, what what was that whole day like for you and the squad? It was just that build-up to it,
1: I think. Um I think, you know, we talk about that as well. I spoke about it before. I was a massive confidence player. Um, massive confidence player. And whenever I used to get on a run and scoring goals, I always thought like I was going to score. But then didn't have that mental side of me to be able to, like when I wasn't scoring goals, to be able to get back into like, don't worry about you're going to score again then. But at that period then, I just remember the team being so strong and thinking we was gonna, I was going to score every game at that period. But leading into the Halifax game, it was just... Um, we had, had that Northwich run away where we thought we should have got the job done but it was like look we're at home now let's, let's just make sure we get this done there's not like no messing around this win this game and then uh we got off to the worst possible start going one nil behind um, but then just it was just it was just a brilliant day in terms of two like I said probably two out of my three closest friends at the club were Kingy and Gratz, and all three of us scored on the same day as each other and I just remember you know you've got a special group when, when you score a goal, it's an amazing feeling, but you know when you're so pleased when someone else scores as well and I just remember being like absolutely buzzing when Kingy scored or every time Gratt scored. I remember you used to celebrate as if it was me scoring as well. Um, so to that day to win it at home, I remember we had a pretty good night out afterwards as well. <laughs> I, just, that. I, I think listen, I I didn't want to lose all at Northwich, but I think to it happened the best that we could win it in front of you guys. We could win it in front of our own fans, and and we end up going out and having a nice night out with each other <laughs> afterwards
0: as well. But it was a, yeah, it. Was a I, I, I heard it was a nice <laughs> sit down meal, just and then it all went home at a reasonable <laughs> hour. Is we were that there. right? We were there. Again. Yeah, yeah, I was only sixteen. <laughs> that was I was sixteen
3: in the Weaver being served, thinking life can't get better.
0: It was crazy.
1: I remember just starting. King Yard, um he lived literally on the back of the ground Kingy he, he'd been put up there obviously because he was not from around there we ended up drinking there and then I remember I was supposed to be going out with my mates that night and I went home to get changed and I said no listen all the boys are going to St Albans I don't care if you don't come with me I'm going to St Albans I've got to get got there and um yeah, I said it was a good night. I I probably only remember after oh, it. <laughs> you get in the <laughs> weaver. I I got were
3: you in the weaver with some of the others because there's quite a few. Were you in the weaver for a bit? I think like I weaves?
1: think that's what it was. I think we we started in the weaver. I went back to Kingy's thing to thing, and I just had no. You think you'd planned something like that that would go out afterwards? And I'm going to bring some stuff with me. I don't know if I didn't want to tempt fate or whatever. I can't remember if we were in tracksuits or suits or whatever it is. I can't remember, but I just remember thinking I've got to get back to Edgware. To get changed so I can get back out again, but being pretty drunk on the way back to Edgeway. to <laughs> <laughs> my mum and dad again. You're not going back out, are you? And I was like, yes. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what time I'll be in, but um, yeah, I'm going back out. Yeah, just yeah, going to Auburn's and having the, having a great night. It was all of, it was just brilliant, all
0: of us together, and it was yeah, it was something I'll always remember. Well, if you can't celebrate a night like that, when when can you? Yeah, exactly. So the following season, obviously, we're back in the football league, uh, and again. It's a good start to the season um, and we've made a few additions to the squad, but things started to um, turn on the pitch quite quickly. Um, what was it like at the start of that season, in that pre-season? Was there any sort of different approach for you that made things different or you know, what was it that, that meant that we perhaps weren't as successful as we maybe expected or, or perhaps should have been? I think it was just, yeah, I think it was, um, it's always tough that first season um, coming up. You either
1: start brilliantly and kick on and end up sort of going up the league or I had it with Barney and I had it with Dagman when I got promoted with them a couple of years you you sometimes struggle to go up to that next level and then I don't know if it's where you got so used to winning the season before and then all of a sudden you start having a few bad results and you're not you don't know how to get out of it confidence plays a part Um, I think also as well which the truth is you you build real good friendships with your teammates that you're playing with um, the year before and if one of you gets left out, and it happens because the manager has to evolve and the team has to evolve, all of a sudden when two, three, four, maybe five of you start getting left out the side, not that you don't want the boys to go, go into the team to do better than you, but you're always looking out for your mates, I think, a little bit. And um, I think there was certainly a little bit of that, that crossover where we were sort of having a little bit of a change around the squad and more different players come into the team and there was them still... Close knit bonds from the year before that. Some of us were probably thinking, "Well, we should be playing. We deserve to be playing." But um, it was it was a it was a it, look, it was a tough season for all of us that year. And I I'm, I'm imagine it was a hard year for Paul as well to to manage us
3: as well at times during that season. Just got to ask about some of the players that came in because I remember you know we we won the league and the excitement for us, even though we've been in Division Three league, whatever you want to call it, a couple of years before. In the summer, literally counting down the days, and it was a massive anticlimax. climax. The season itself wasn't great, but you're talking but, about the kit, Ian, when it wasn't black and amber. <laughs> <the> black <people> <laughs> were, <laughs> black we're all black, Back, yeah. black bright, yeah. amber, well, it was because yeah. they were the orange in pre season. It, it was too, it was too, too orange, too, yeah. orange. But, um, the players we brought in, and this is not to go individually, you know, it's like Bowditch, Norville, Louis Saws. Uh, they were like late arrivals, it was like not much happened you know you were saying about that that change was it was there a sense maybe within the squad that it was a bit underwhelming that we you know we hadn't necessarily kicked on obviously we kept the core of that team but we maybe didn't strengthen massively and it was all left quite late
1: yeah I think that's what it was and I, look, you don't know but I, I certainly probably think now looking at it from a from managerial point of view I, I probably you know, I hope I'm not talking about tenant, you probably didn't get much of a budget to do much that summer uh, Paul uh, he, without being bad to them four boys you know they probably want to come in on masses of wages um, sort of giving them a chance I remember those younger lads you know Ross Flitney coming as well as goalkeeper and Ross and Scott you know look Scott had been a regular the year before so I think there was always that competitiveness between them two you know that they both thought they should be number one goalkeeper and it, it isn't talking bad of any of them boys because honestly individually they're all great lads as well there wasn't um we didn't really improve the squad in terms of personnel. We didn't. If you get left out of the team and changes happen and you look and you go, well, that, I can see a reason for that. You know, they've been brought in, there, they're kicking us on, these boys. I don't think there was that feeling really within it. But like I'm saying, I, like, I honestly haven't ever spoke to Paul Fairclough about it. But probably looking back on it now, he probably wasn't given much of a budget to change things around that summer. He probably had to go with what he had the year before because we've been so successful.
0: Well, there was, of course, a, a big highlight that year, um, quite early in the season. Obviously, we made some good progress in the League Cup. And uh, then we sat there uh, against, in a nondescript home game against Rochdale beforehand. And uh, Man United come out of the hat away in the League Cup. Um, where were you when that happened? And what was your reaction when you realised, you know, I'm going to be playing at Old Trafford? I think I was at home. I think I watched it with my, my dad and my
1: family at the time. And it's, um, it, listen, it still happens now, you know, as, as I've been a player and throughout my career and even then turning into a manager, you know, when you get into them drawers, you're just always dreaming you're going to get one of them big teams, did not you? You're always sitting there 99 times out of 100, you get out any climax where you get someone that's either a division below you or like another team in your league, didn't you? And you're like, oh... But um, I think we beat Plymouth at home. I remember Torebo West playing against us. I remember that was quite a big thing. Only, was,
3: I said to him, he got annoyed about it. It's the only time Gratz ever outpaced a centre half. Without being bad to um, I remember me and Gratz after the game. I just dealt
1: with Torebo West there or whatever. But I remember not, <laughs> not long <laughs> after that, I remember him retiring. So it's probably him going. Quite, I'm getting...
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'm getting done by Gratioli outpacing me. That's it. I'm retiring <laughs> I can't that. I now. But, um, yeah, the draw coming out and just being the whole, the whole build-up around it. Look, I don't, I don't think that helped as well with our, with our home form around that time as well because um, I just remember there was so much focus on playing the main night game and without meaning to be like it, all of us players as well was just thinking, go, oh, I want to be in that team to play at Old Trafford. I think we all felt like that, or that, that way.
0: Well, we played, we played Mansfield away the week before. And we got, we got beat 4-0 and we were terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the greatest of respect, we were awful. And I think yeah. you sort of, I mean, you understand it, didn't you, as players? You sort of, I'm, if it's a 50-50 challenge and there's a chance here that I'm not going not to play on Wednesday night at Man United, then I'm not going to go for it. It, I'm it, being, it.
2: I'm not being funny, James. We'd have all taken 4-0 at Man, Mansfield away to win at Man United, wouldn't we, as fans? So that was, we uh, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: on with that. Do you know what I mean? It was
0: fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm right to, sorry, go on.
1: I'm, I was on the bench at Mansfield, and I—I I, I sounds really bad to say it, but I, I remember thinking because we got beat so bad that day that I've actually got an, now a chance to start Old Trafford. I remember feeling that way, and and when you look back on it now, I'm, I shouldn't have been thinking like that because you want you should want to win every single game you play. But that's the honest feeling. And I remember I think Scott Tynan was on the bench that game, and I remember Scott remember saying, "Well, surely that means I'm going to start Old Trafford, this, that, and the other." And it's just. Um, it's that short-sightedness where you've just you, you, you you've got to look outside the box and think about the team and what's best for the team. And like I'm saying, when I've been in a successful team, that's all you do. You care about the team and you're as happy for someone else scoring a goal or doing well as you are for yourself. I think around that time, I think a little bit of in, individuals have turned, uh, come across us a little bit. And like I'm saying, I, I was part of that. I remember thinking, God, I've got a chance to start in Old Trafford now when I should have really been thinking, oh my God, we we'll have be beat 4-0 by Mansfield here.
3: That's difficult though, isn't it? Because I think, you know, you're professional footballers, don't get me wrong, but you're not Man United level professional footballers. In, in ter- do you know what I mean? Like in a career of a lower league player, that only comes around once, maybe twice. Mm. I think, you know, as supporters on the other side, yes, it's frustrating, like James was saying about, maybe seeing people not going for tackles fully and whatever else. But, you know, when you take a step back, you've got to appreciate in hindsight, it's a short career. And if you're only at that kind of level... The chance to play Man United away is only coming around once or twice. Like I don't think as supporters, especially with the benefit of hindsight, like we begrudge like any of the players for maybe focusing on that in that time because we would started quite well as well. You know, we weren't down the bottom; we were kind of mid-table. Yeah, I think as well. If you you know, we're in a different era of football now. But okay,
2: it may well have been a fairly young Man United team. But even when you look back and see the kind of players, that, it was a big game.
1: You know, for yeah. us,
2: it was a huge game. Um, you know, Arsenal fan perhaps, and whatever else. But did, did you feel? Were you conscious of how big that you know that 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 game was, and what those uh, who those players were, and what they might become?
1: I, did, I didn't. I remember just remember seeing the team sheet at the time. But obviously, when you go in there, you're not sure whether they're going to bang out all the big players, or whether they're going to yeah. change the team up a little bit. That's how I, know. I remember they was full of their whole bench was all like their regulars, just in case something went wrong. And Ross made sure that didn't happen after that it was just um yeah just looking forward to it. i remember all my family traveled down to manchester we traveled up the night before stayed in the hotel and i just remember it being the longest like tuesday afternoon or wednesday whatever it was just waiting for the game to come around but paul fairclough was of really big part of his and he was i think we've all spoke about it, you know he's probably a bit, a little bit ahead of his time you know as a manager being in and around the england setup and stuff he was really big on psychology and stuff like that so i remember us having a team meeting the night before and. Um, Anthony Charles was playing left back. Well, was supposed to be playing left back, and um, he'd done a whole big speech, this, that, and the other. And he said, "Has anyone got any like real concerns or scares of like being about tomorrow?" This that, and the other. And Charles, he put his hand up, and I remember all of us like, going, "Charles, shut up!" Like this that, and the other. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't want to play left back. I can see myself getting ripped tomorrow." Is <laughs> all of us like telling him to sit down to shut up? And then um, yeah. Adam Gross ended up playing left-back because of it. But Charles, he was supposed to be starting the left-back. He ended up wow. taking himself out of the team the night before the game. Wow. It, was, um, it was crazy. But then, obviously, look, in hindsight, I, I wind Ross up about it now. I think you all know that Ross is my um, goalkeeper coach at Eastleigh now. And i played with Eastleigh and I've had two spells with Ross. But um, him getting sent off after, like, a minute, them scoring the free kick, just, it was literally the worst possible start. And I just remember... um. I remember Ross getting sent off, but honestly thinking at the time, because I was playing up front with so I remember thinking, this is going to be me getting pulled off here. It's definitely yeah. going to be, be me getting subbed. And um, well, obviously, Louis, Louis, Louis didn't even, poor Louis didn't even get to touch the ball. Got that a was our
3: question, Ben. Because, you know, with the greatest respect, and you've been at the club for a long time, it was, like, it was when we realised we were losing the keeper, I think in the stand, it was a bit like with the team at the time. Let's blame the manager. <laughs> Let's just <wait> <laughs> yeah. it, 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 I think it was going to be you or, or Louis Swords. It, it was one Understood. or the other. So, so it's interesting you sort of preempted that. I, I've always thought, you know, were you nervous when that that board went up that it was going to have your number on it? And I've got to be honest now. Uh, this is this is
1: truthful because I look at it from a managerial point of view now and a thing. I think the reason maybe I stayed on the pitch and Louis did. Louis was quite a lad. I think Paul probably would have thought it would have maybe caused more repercussions between me and him and our relationship that he kept me on. I think I played right midfield, obviously, before and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I I do, I feel for Louis and Ross Ross always talks about as well. Ross and Louis never really had a good relationship after that, I think, because Louis (laughs) always used to think, bloody idiot. And I remember all of us thinking about Ross and it weren't like, I talked to him about it now, you know, he got sent off after a minute. We all got the runaround for 89 minutes by Man United hardly touching the ball. And I remember all the talk after the game, the next day he was on, like, Skype. Yeah. He was, he was getting all the coverage and we was like, oh, he's got sent off after a minute. <laughs> We've got a run around and got battered and he's getting all the coverage now. But um, luckily for him, and it was the right thing, he got it rescinded and it was literally just that, that nervous energy that we all had. He just had a bit of a rush of blood. I remember him catching the ball just outside the thing, outside the box and um, the best thing about our game was, and I think generally, I think Nicky Bailey, if Nicky would have been 18 the way he played in that game, um, because I think he was in his 20s by that point, Nicky, I remember Alex Ferguson saying how good he was. I, I generally think how well he played that day, he'd have been uh, in the chance of getting a move into the Premiership because he was unbelievable that day. It was 10 men he was playing against, I can't remember who, but he was, he was unbelievable that day. And like, he went on to play in the Championship, so probably got to the level where he should have done, but I remember, I remember how good Nicky
0: was that day. Yeah, started, he did really well, hadn't he? And he, he scored mm. in, in, in that cup run, the, the first game we played at Bristol City, he scored the best goal I've ever seen live. Yeah, and on amazing run, didn't he? I remember he, he was quite the corner flag. It was just absurd. So mm. that, that, I think, was sort of a, a springboard for him almost, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: it, we, we, could all, uh, we could all tell with Nicky. And um, at, at times, he, he's enthusiasm. And he was a young lad at the time then. He used to have... Rouse all the time in training with players with Paul Fairclough. Him and Paul Fairclough's relationship was honestly a you know, love hate one. They them two used to argue constantly, but it was literally because he was such a winner, he was so determined to do well. It didn't matter what game it was, you'd be sitting on the coach and it'd be quite quiet, and then voices would raise, and it was because Nicky was playing at the back of the coach and he felt like he'd been cheated. The cards or saying, um... <laughs> but ultimately he went on to play and went for a lot of money and playing the championship, and he still. Been playing now, you know, National South and National League for the last two years. uh, An older age is because he's so competitive, and he was—he was a real good player. Him and both him and Dean Sinclair and Kingy at that point, them three boys that uh, winning the league and the following season. I think they was all ready to kick on from Barney. I don't think that was being disrespectful to Barney. I think we all sort of knew that they looked like they was going to have real good careers on their hands.
3: Yeah, we managed to keep him for another whole season as well. After that, sure, three Mm. of them, and then yeah, they they all went upwards and various success but um, yeah, definitely three quality players we were very lucky to have for as long as we did. Um, So obviously on the back of United, the game after we had Russian at home, you scored in that one Um, and then obviously you're involved in the team for the rest of the season. Um, Before we get on to the end of that season and your time at Barnet, the the system changed that year. Obviously the, the situation in the league changed. that We were flying the year before and you can attack teams but it grats was saying that it was kind of like a 4 3 3 in theory, but to us in the stands, it was more like a 4 5 1. I just wonder what how did you find that new system we played in that first season back in the league?
1: Uh, it was, it was that though. We had gone from not not bit, but we was always on the front foot, we was always looking to win games. It didn't matter, like we talked about, you know, that foot of the season before, you know, going to Exeter and winning, going to Carlisle and winning. Um, being two nil down at Halifax and coming back and winning—it didn't matter where we went that National League season. We didn't care. We would just try to win the game. And um, I think just as it goes, and like I say, I always talk now because I'm manager and I'm more experienced player, this that and the other. I think we got we got to the point where we were worried about not losing at places, and we um, we did go a little bit more defensive. But I ended up playing four five one four three three. Grats, not play as much, um, because without being bad to Graz, you know, as a a lone striker, that's not really, you're never going to get the best out of Gratz. and I think he'd hold his hands up and say, you know, he's the strongest point in his hold-up play or anything like that. Graz has always been, get him up there with a big target man or someone who can flick the ball on for him and let him get loose in the box and just, you can't coach some of the stuff that Graz can do, but him not being in the team, like I'm saying, was a was a big factor because he was such a popular member of the group as well. I remember us all thinking, why is Graz not playing? Why are we not playing 4-4-2 and playing Graz? So um, there definitely was a shift in the mentality of uh, us in games and also, like you said, in the formation as well.
3: Yeah, and then, so obviously, as so I say, that season from, you know, there was that six months we won the league. We've got United away. Everything's brilliant. And initially, when the slides started to happen, I think we all just kind of, oh, you know, it's a new league. We kind of accept it. Um and then obviously as, as the season goes on, results are getting worse and worse that we didn't win away for like eight months or something. And it's going really badly wrong. And anyway, we, we've come to Chester away, uh, middle of April, big relegation six-point because they were down there as well. I remember we went to the game, the three of us uh, and our other mate Ryan in the worst car ever. Uh, it didn't have windscreen wipers that work. Thankfully that April day, the weather was all right. We could only ever go away from home when, the, when it wasn't raining. That was basically it was. <laughs> <laughs> On the M6, James at the bonnet open, looking at something. Not now. Either way, we, not mechanical. we got there and we got back just about. Yeah. Uh, but as it turned out, Ben, that was your last ever game for Barnet, which uh, was you know no fanfare about. It was a decent enough result. We got a 0-0 draw, played quite well. And I, as my recollection of it, I could be wrong, was you play the game. Uh, we drew 0-0. And on like the Tuesday after it come on the website, just Ben Strevens leaves the club. And it's like sort of seven years at Barnet, done. And I think we were in such a crisis of potentially going down, having had the higher the year before. And then it was, it was so desperate. Um, we had a lot of things going on at the club as well about the uh, keep Barnet alive thing with the local elections coming up as well. Yeah. That what was quite big news was kind of swept under the carpet at the time, to be honest, I think, and maybe not really digested by anyone. Um, so, I'd just love to know from your side, what, what happened? How did it go from playing that game and, I think, 41 games that season to then the Tuesday after that match, before the season's finished in the crunch relegation battle, you left?
1: I think, I think it was... Um there was it happened on the monday obviously i've never i've always said the same going on and and honestly this is the truth here and it's obviously i'm doing on the podcast so it's not probably great for me to be coming out and saying it but i um at the time trezor candle got in trouble with the police hadn't he and stuff like that yeah i had about two three weeks earlier of it i had gone out on a night out with my mates on a saturday night and stupidly i went back to my mate's house and his family had had a house party and um the whole house honestly there was nowhere to sleep this day and the other and I stupidly drove my car with one of my best mates in it and got done for drink driving um I've never told honestly I've never spoke about this before so I um I spoke to Paul Fairclough explained that I'd got myself into trouble explained the whole situation was completely remorseful throughout I said look I've got a court case coming up in a couple of weeks this day and the other um anyway I got banned from driving which I I thoroughly deserved I was a bloody idiot at the time I look back and really regret it but I also got a massive fine as well I think I got like something like a £1200 fine and I can't go into too much I'm, I'm being Jeremy Carl moment I'm telling you everything, but I don't want to tell you what wages I want I wasn't <laughs> was, um, on a big amount of money so I um, I got banned I got a massive fine and then the Monday morning I come in and I got fined two weeks wages as well but from Barnet and I just basically like I just said look, I'm, I take it, this, that, and the other. I, just, I, I can't afford to do it. it Explain, obviously, how much I've been fine, this, that, and the other. And it just... I don't know why we was even there. We trained at the ground on that Monday. I don't even know why, because it was we rarely ever trained at the ground, from my recollection. I might be wrong. Um, but I obviously spoke to Paul Fairclough about it. I said I wasn't happy about the fine, this, that, and the other. And he just said, look, leave it. We'll talk about it another time, this, that, and the other. Training finished. And I <laughs> don't know um, Tony Clownfield was walking up to his office and I see him. And before going in to get showered, I went and asked if I could speak to him. And you can imagine the conversation went really well. (laughs) uh, He's finding me two weeks wages. I'm a stupid idiot arguing about it. this that and the other. And, um, yeah, just beyond that argument between me and the chairman and me not having long left on my contract and getting out, getting in trouble as well, probably a couple of weeks earlier, that was the end of it. And, um, Probably regretting the way it happened um, because I really didn't get a chance to say bye. I'd been there such a long time, this day and the other. But I think it was only—I don't think we had a lot of games left in that season. I don't. I'm pretty. I think I'm 99% sure I wouldn't have been getting a new contract anyway. Um, But it was just a little bit of an ending. Which listen, I brought on myself. I shouldn't have got in trouble two weeks earlier. But it didn't help when. Trezor was obviously getting in massive trouble as well. And, um, you know, I think we all know what ended up happening to him with getting jailed and stuff like that. So I think the chairman and Paul Fairclough probably were sick of what was going on at the time. And, um, yeah, oh, I, was, I was in it as well. I wouldn't want to speak ill of the club
2: uh, as it is now or any of those people involved. But I have to say that um, for a fella that had been around the club for as long as you had, um, and was, frankly, as popular with the fans at that point as well, to uh, to hear a story like that, where um, you, you, you kind of hope that, especially when you've been somewhere that long that long a time, they would get around you and look after you and support you. That that feels like a sh- frankly for everyone a bit of a shame that it
1: ended that way. I think, and uh, yeah. I, I just think it was the timing on it. Honestly, I think the fact that they was that they had just paid all that money for TK. I think we, who did we sign him from Dagenham or something like that? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. and um, yeah. and the fact that they was they had to co- go to court with. TK and then I remember one of the people there said to like the chairman, Oh, we've got another one of your players. I just think that it, was, we, it was stupid, we were, both, we were both stupid in terms of what we did. And look, I look back on it now and I can't i myself. Can never drove since doing something stupid like that. But the fact that I got in the car and drove was my own fault. I, I, I deserved to get banned, I deserved to get fined. And really, I did deserve to get fined by the football club as well. I did, but. probably didn't need it at that time. (laughs) I was beating myself up as it was. But the best thing about the end of that season was I remember we went to rushing the Diamonds away, wasn't it? And um, I just come and watch the game as a fan and I didn't go to get any like, and I remember sitting over with my dad um, over in the corner. And I think at the end of the game, I I don't think any of the Barnet fans really knew I was there. And then I think Hendo or Grax or one of the boys see that I was there supporting, come over to see me. And then everyone started singing and like sort of realised that I was there and gave me a little bit of a, I think Stan, thanks and goodbye as well at the end of that time as well because I think that was the day we stayed up as well. So it was a real good feel. Yeah, you know, a good we, we track, were going
3: yeah. ask, to ask about that if it was a bit of an urban myth because we were all at the game. Um, I remember when Bailey made it two nil. I got pushed over the advertising <laughs> board onto the edge of the pitch, and I got thrown out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I genuinely didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you, at, you at, did enter the field of play, Ian, as I read it. wrong, <laughs> isn't And then me and, the, and then one of the other boys got thrown out for arguing with the stewards about me getting pushed over by one of them. And we went back into the rush end, the home end, for the last few minutes. Then we got caught by the same steward who'd done a lap of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I missed all that at the end. I remember being outside, I'm not even going to lie, tears in my eyes, maybe about staying up, also about being thrown out and being drunk and 17 years old. <laughs> um, but so he, uh, we were going to ask you to clear up if you were there at Rushden that day, because people have said that and that, like, kind of, I think you didn't get the goodbye you wanted at Barnet, perhaps, or you deserved. But at least there was that kind of definitely recognition from those who were aware of that that you know you were a Barnet man for a long time, and that you know you, you made the choice to be there that day and and sort of say your goodbyes, as it were. Yeah, no, it was. It, it
1: ended up being a real good sort of send off because I don't I, I right up until the last minute I remember saying to my dad I'm not sure whether I should go or not because I remember it being such a big game as well and I think it would have gone the other way it wouldn't have looked yeah. good for me being there as well so it was a bit of a the fact that the boys ended up doing the job and winning I remember they deserved to win as well and it literally was literally I think because I think it was I think it was either Hendo or Grass I can't remember who, who one of them seen me at the corner of the come over and give me a cuddle or whatever and then it made other people realise it as well and I I left so quickly honestly on that Monday Loads of the boys didn't even know about it. I had an argument with, obviously, the chairman after training. So no one really knew what had happened. It was only the people I was really close with. I went, up, went got from being there on the Monday training in the Monday morning to Tuesday afternoon. I had left the football club and I think all the boys were a little bit like. I hadn't seen, honestly, I probably had not seen 85% of the, the rest of the boys until that moment when I see them after the end of the game. So it wasn't it it was a, it weren't, it weren't a good way to end, but at least it, Barnett was staying up and Honestly, I look back on it now and it's not like I wanted to leave Barnett this and the other, but actually for myself and for my career, probably ended up being the best thing for me. Because I think, like I said, I've been there seven, eight years. You know, you go a little bit stout at times and you don't mean to be like it. Um, And I think probably I ended up doing a little bit better towards the second half of my career just because I had a fresh start and I had to prove myself again.
3: No, definitely. I was going to say, obviously, you know, you you left in 2006 and then you went to Crawley initially, which was a step down, if I'm not mistaken, at the time, in terms of going down back to the conference and then yeah. linking up to John Phil again at Dagenham. And then kind of all took off for you from there, you know, like uh, obviously one promotion with Dagenham uh, in their first season, I think back in the league, you scored against Barnet on Sky. Uh, yeah. Minimal celebration for the goal. I did uh, celebrate a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't give it to oh, us to be away one. and so, uh, no. you know, that that would have been... We might not be on the podcast now if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, and then after that, obviously, you went from strength. Dagenham did very well. Uh, a really good model for teams like Barnet and, and the, the smaller clubs in that league in the way they got promoted to League One. You got your move to Brentford. Uh, a mate of mine is a big Brentford fan who's been listening to these has said, if I could thank you for putting his face in the tar market at Leeds. Uh, when <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and, and you had some good moments there. And then you've mentioned yourself, obviously spells at Wickham, and I, I'd forgotten, if I'm honest, that you linked up with Martin Allen again at Gillingham uh, and mm. won another league title there. So, you know, your career was massively successful post Barnet. Was there ever any hint of a return or anything? Or was that, you know, that, that was closed? Or, you know, even if the opportunity had come up, you wouldn't have come back? No, yeah. Honestly, after
1: then, I don't think there was ever really an opportunity the rest of my career ever to come back. Um, I remember, like you said, I remember... I remember scoring that game against um, thing, and it was like that w- weird feeling of, I didn't want to celebrate because I didn't want to annoy the fans that I'd always felt been quite good to me, but I, I also wanted to let Paul Fairclough know as well that I was back in the league and I was scoring goals as well, so it was a bit of a <laughs> it was the worst celebration, because it was not really a celebration that there <laughs> um, But yeah, no, and, and honestly I never, I never really ever had a chance of coming back, and um, it, no, it was always, I don't even think I even got that too many more opportunities to play at Underhill as well. I remember going there with Dagenham once, but I think maybe with Wickham. Um, but I didn't get too many opportunities to come back as well and play. And then before I knew it, obviously they changed ground and stuff like that. And then yeah. um, just remember looking from afar when, you know, they had a, we had a couple of years where he was back down towards the relegation places thinking, I hope it don't happen. And then only it did up with you that, that year, getting them um, obviously relegated. But then probably got to meet, you know, Met back up with Martin. I played with Graham Stack at Eastleigh. Played with Togs at Eastleigh. Hoyty, you know, Bonds and Gala. I've met some other Bar- Barnet boys over the years. Have done well to get the club back into the league as well. And um, so yeah, it was just a, just just never had the opportunity. Maybe if Martin would have gone back in, maybe at the back end of my career, maybe like I did with Eastleigh with him, going as like a player sort of coach, that might have happened. But um, yeah, never really had another chance to come back. Yeah, and
2: obviously
3: you're at Eastleigh now, do, doing. Well, and I think you know we all we all are glad to see you. You know you've established yourself as a decent national league manager and doing a good job. And I think, as I say, there's no animosity certainly from Barnet fans towards you. I think we want to see you doing well. Have you been back to the have you been to the Hive as the East League manager yet? And and I'd be interested to know what kind of or if you've been over there at all in in any capacity. What your opinions are of the place when you compare it to your time at Underhill as a Barnet player?
1: Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't got to come back. I was back there not start of last season um as an assistant manager to and we ended up winning 2-1 but this year we were supposed to be part I think we had you last game of the season I think it was um but it's just um for me now we played you played us obviously the back end of the last season you beat us 3-0 um and um it's really it's really strange because I've got like you know when you lose games or your thing I'm really whole bent on winning now but I, honestly I love Darren Curry to bits and um I truthfully look out for Barnet results. One, because obviously I played for Barnet for so long, but two, because I want Darren to do really well as well. And, you know, I am, I do tweet this, that, and the other. I don't tweet too much, but I remember saying after that game, you know, it was a credit to the work work that he's doing because of how good the team was. I remember thinking, God, they were a good side, that team we played against. And um, even the early part of this season when we played against you, I think there's some real good players. I know, obviously, the boy Taylor's left now as well, but um, there are some real good players at Barnet now. And I have been back. I come back. two or three times to watch um, Barney before we played against him um, last season. And if you want me to be honest, I, I really don't like I don't like the new ground, only because of the fact of I don't know where the, the atmosphere is. Like I knew across the opposite side from the bench where if I scored or if the team did well, I'd be over there celebrating like we did when we beat Halifax and there was that atmosphere there. There's no people on the turnstiles even to say hello to you, walking yeah, in yeah. and the other. I just... I just I've I, I, I think in terms of the whole setup of it, it's amazing. The training facilities are amazing. Without a doubt the ground is better than the water was at Underhill, but I just I feel like and listen, I'm talking as an Arsenal fan as well. I feel like a bit of Arsenal was lost when they left Highbury. Yeah, I also yeah. feel like a bit of it has been left behind at Underhill. Um listen, there was a slope of a pitch, <laughs> terrible at times to play on. But it was special and it always holds a special part in my, you know, big part of my life and my career. So it's hard going back there now. I don't see it as the same as being at Underwood. And that, that's just my opinion. People might think differently. That's just how I feel about it.
2: Looking back at your time at the club, I, I guess there's different ways you could cut it up. But there's the, for me, there's three fairly distinct eras. There's the, the John Still period when you you come in and you break in and, and the period then. You've got the Martin Allen, Peter Street, but Martin Allen era there. And then the Paul Paul Fairclough uh, era as well. Is there a period that really sort of you remember fondly or is that whole journey just, uh,
1: does it all merge into one in the end? I think, I think it ends up merging into, in, into one if I'm being completely honest, but it's just, um, it just is. It, it, honestly, and not just because I'm speaking to you guys now and I'm talking on a, you know, a Barnet podcast, this, that and the other, but it's, it's, it's a huge, huge part of my life, you know. I'll always be thankful, you know, John Steele, Although well, he might not be everyone's cup of tea and I've even talked about being so scared of him, this, that and the other, you know, the respect and you know the way I feel about him just because of the fact he gave me my first ever professional game with football and the fact that I got to score my first ever league goal at Underhill, you know, won my first ever, you know, competitive title at Underhill, this, that and the other. They're, they're massive moments in my life, you know, that I'll always be grateful for. There's certainly some real highs, um couple of them that I've covered there, obviously winning the league, you know, and there's the massive loads of getting relegated and obviously some of the things where I had with injuries and like you said, the illness and stuff like that, but all massive parts of my life and um, I feel like now, and it generally is, you know, just not because I'm like so fond of Darren, I feel like the disconnect that the fans maybe felt a little bit after that John Steele era before Martin took over as manager, I really do feel that Darren gets the the, the sense of that football club and I feel like he's trying to, He's, and he's trying his hardest to do it, whether it'll happen or not. I'm not too sure, because losing you three, like you're saying, maybe not going to games and stuff like that. But I really feel like Darren's trying to get the fans back on board and to try and show that there's people there that care for the club. And I'm Eastley now, you know, and I've been to Eastley five, six years, and I can truthfully say, and I know Darren will probably say it as well, you, know, you don't like losing any game of football, but when you start to know people around the club and you've been at somewhere for so long, it honestly hurts you even more. Um, and I know that's how he feels about it now, you know. And I was speaking to him loads last season and stuff. And um, genuinely, I'm hoping that the players start back up because I think you guys will end up being in it, won't you? I think you've got a chance of maybe playing up and yeah. If is. they do it
0: on points per game, yeah, they might, we might slip in, yeah. It,
1: I've got to be honest, I, don't, I didn't like it when I see Paul McCallum sign on loan for you. My, <laughs> my, 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 yeah. my centre forward. Um, well, he, is I, Ian I, Hendon, s- his his uh, agent as well, so it's all connected, I think. Hendo's his agent yep so when um, Hess, obviously that you guys know from his little spell that he had for Barney and stuff um, obviously he had him at Orion and then he come come to Eastleigh and his first season at Eastleigh he didn't do too particularly well but last last year I'll talk about last year because this season still in my eyes going on you know he scored 27 goals for me he scored 20 headers um, and at mm-hmm. the end of the season I knew I was going to lose him I was just gutted it looked like he was going into the league and obviously old Moores with the financial power they've got ended up signing him um, and then just before he signed for you guys obviously I spoke to him on the phone he said look it looks like I'm going to be going out on loan I just couldn't do nothing about it but um, I knew the type of forward Darren's been out after literally all summer and um did surprise me I think in his first game he scored then in his second game he scored and I think he could have been the difference maybe between um, Barnett hopefully and still might happen be, being right up there come the end of the season I think well, my, my dad's still a season ticket holder at Barnet, and I
2: suppose it's one of those things we've we've ended up drifting away because of the ground move. My dad's been doing it too long to to not carry on doing it, and he talks about Paul McCallum, and he, he, one of the things he reflects on is it's, it's a, a striker in this day and age that still scores with his head. Um, yeah, and there aren't too
1: many of those that do that now. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a he's, honestly he's unbelievable. up there with probably Scott McEach. Scott McEach was unbelievable especially for his height he's springy out the way he could head the ball but Paul McCallan, I'm not just at least well he scored 20 goals for me in one season with his head. <laughs> it's just 20 goals in a season you know it's just to, to think of that over the course of the season and um, I think the surprising thing is I'm, I might be wrong he might have got one in the end now I didn't see all the goals but I think he scored at two of his feet when he first signed for you um, <laughs> but he's a great lad I just don't know whether whether this season ends or not whether Darren will be able to keep him moving forward or not. Um, I know your uh, Payview signed being out injured he might come back and he's a target man type as well you know like you're saying a diving, dying breed probably Liam Hatch was the last one I remember there obviously Scott McGee and Ken Charlie and probably Tony Richards but um, there's not too many target around, um, players around anymore and is a good one definitely a good one for our level
2: How are we I'm conscious we don't want to take too much of your time up but it's an interesting question for me is that you've moved from being a footballer to a manager it was really quick I think it happened No. know do you look at football differently now? Is it a, is it a different game
1: for you now, or just just part of your career? Yeah, no, it's something that I honestly, I truthfully didn't think I was going to go into. I um, I started at the back end of my career doing a, a degree because I thought a sports science degree. I thought I was going to become a PE teacher. Ended up getting a chance to be like a, a coach at Eastleigh and thought you know maybe this might lead into something. And then I was really enjoying being assistant manager to Hesse. Hesse's a great guy. I think he come at that. Point we were talking about when me me leaving, you know that, that that season we first come up into the league and he's um, he up. come into the group. I think he was about thirty eight and he's he's energy and enthusiasm. Honestly, he's just he's crazy. He's he's such a good guy. Even last preseason. He would, me and him was having to do the runs the day before that the boys would do the next day. He would go, no, nope, we're running up and down the stands. We're going to see how long it takes and then the boys can do it tomorrow. He's just, he's mental. And I was, I was so enjoying being his assistant just because he's such a funny guy, but a great football person to get to know as well. And then he had the chance to go and move closer back to home. You know, he's a Kent boy. He got, got the chance to go back to, to be manager at Dover. And I was pretty much, if I don't try and become the manager, the chances are someone else is going to come in and probably not want me to be their assistant because when you go into places you want to have your own people in and around you so threw my hat in the ring and um, yeah, now I'm, I'm 18 well. months down the line. Yeah, look, the first year it was amazing, you know, and, we, and and I I try not to be too begrudging. I really think we should have beat Salford and we lost on penalties I I think we'd have been a League 2 team this year really hurts me and it were not even that. it was just the fact that I knew I was going to lose Maca, I knew I was going to lose Mark Yates who done brilliantly for me I lost about another four or five boys so this year has been a, a tough rebuilding year for me really in terms of what we're having to do but um, like all the rest of you, you know it's all been curtailed and it's a little bit strange times for all of us at the moment so I'm just I'm just hoping they find a, a good solution to the to the end of this season for the teams that are in and around it you know I'm in a position now where. I'm not going to get relegated and I'm not going to make the playoffs. So it doesn't really affect me. But I know how it would have felt this time last year if you work so hard over a cool scene you don't get to play the playoffs. But um, I think they're working hard on it now and I'm hoping it goes ahead.
3: OK, well, um, look, Ben, or Joe, you know what? I'm going to strebs you. Strebs? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> We've been for two hours on Zoom. I think I can strebs you at this point. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Strebs, thank you so much for, uh, well, first of all, all, the memories of your time playing for Barnet that we enjoyed. Thank you for looking back on them with us today, and obviously we wish you all the best at your time at Eastleigh when football does restart again.
1: Now, listen, thank you for having me on, and even even you, Craig, for giving you enough for having me. On as well. <laughs> <laughs> no. I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> <I'm only joking. laughs> Cheers, James. Cheers, Ian. And Craig. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I
0: Take Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season. Frank Perfect.
1: most people would say I was mad. 30, 30, 30
3: seconds, 30.